everybody to this divisional Sunday. I hope you enjoyed the Saturday games. Good morning, New York sports fans. Actually, Buffalo is in New York. It's the only football team that plays in New York. So good win for you, Buffalo Bills fans. I'm Danielle McCartan. McCartan, after midnight, we'll be talking all things New York sports with you until 6 a.m. on this early Sunday morning. You know, listen, on the way in, it was like I felt like I was in Talladega because there were like race cars on the West Side Highway all the way in tonight. So if you're still out and about, watch out for the race cars on the West Side Highway because it was quite dangerous, actually, all the way down from from the bridge to, to here where we are. Um, but you guys know that number, 877-337-6666. If you want to get aboard, load them up with your best content only, please. Coming to you live from the Mike Francesa studio here in Lower Manhattan, and we're going to be together a lot tonight. In the 4 o'clock hour, we'll be joined. I, I gave you an emoji clue online on Twitter, and it was a, a cupcake. Some of you guys got it. Some of you guys were real confused. In the 4 o'clock hour, we'll be joined by UFC superstar, and who has become a great friend of the show, Misha Takedown, or Misha Cupcake Tate. We're going to preview UFC 257, which is next weekend. Of course, headlined by none other than Conor McGregor. So let's hope that she'll give us a glimpse into um, as to whether or not she, like Notorious, also has plans to return to the Octagon herself. So stay locked in for that, everybody, especially you fight fans. So Tuesday, Yankees first baseman Luke Voigt told NBC's Bruce Beck, Quote, I think DJ LeMahieu is the best hitter in baseball. I'm literally sitting next to a printer right now, and it makes me think of DJ LeMahieu because he's a freaking machine. We need him. End quote. It's obvious that Voight, too, had been growing anxious and impatient like the rest of Yankees' universe. And by putting on the full-court press with Beck, he made sure everyone knew it. With each week, by passing week, as we well-documented here on this program for months, Frustration among Yankees fans mounted. But now, Luke Voigt and the Yankees universe will not have to say goodbye. In fact, he's saying more six more years, years. So that was Alok, I think, and featuring Tovlo, Don't Say Goodbye. I really like that song. Um, and, and DJ LeMayhew, let me remind you, in his two years with the Yankees, he hit 336, 306 in the postseason, including in, if you're a Yankee fan, you know it, so clutch in such a big spot. That two-run home run to tie the game in Houston in the top of the ninth of Game 6 of the ALCS. That ball that landed in the first or second row right down the right field line. That game, that series, as you know, ended with cheating, cheating Jose Altuve's walk-off home run against our oldest Chapman. You know, the one where he held his shirt clothes and wagged his finger as he rounded third base on his way to home. DJ LeMay, who had back-to-back top five MVP finishes in the AL. And he was a 2020 AL batting title champion in the shortened season. He hit 364. That's like some video game, like MLB The Show, creative player stuff. Not to mention, with that title, he became the first player in the modern era to win a batting title in each league. Obviously with the Rockies and the NL as well. But how could the Yankees not bring back their most productive clutch player in decades? Yankees fans asked themselves, how could the team even allow him to freely test the open market, even daring him to? 
with so many other suitors lining up for him and banging the door down of the Wasserman agency to get to him. In the end, Brian Cashman finally realized and accepted DJ LeMayhew's Swiss Army knife worth and rewarded the best free agent position player on the market this offseason with a six-year, $90 million contract. $90 million contract, I should say. That, I think, is a win-win for both sides. At exactly 6.05 a.m. Friday morning, John Morosi delivered the news that Yankees fans had been clamoring for months to hear. In a tweet, he said, DJ LeMahieu is finalizing an agreement to return to the Yankees. The deal could be completed as soon as today. Let me tell you something about John Morosi. At our Italian-American Baseball Foundation dinner a few years ago, he told me, on the record, that when he reports things, he makes sure they're absolutely factual before doing so. Why? Because he told me that players are people too. And so are their families who read those rumor tweets. I stand by John Morosi, and when I saw that he tweeted it about, I don't know, 6.30, I opened my eyes. It was pretty much a done deal, and I knew it. It was signed, sealed, and delivered about three hours later. The Yankees' reactions to the news came fast and furiously on Twitter. Their excitement was palpable. And the quantity of reactions just goes to show you how beloved DJ LeMahieu is within that clubhouse. Aaron Judge said, let's roll. This is on Twitter. Excited to have you back in pinstripes at DJ LeMahieu with a picture of them in the on-deck circle. Tyler Wade, I liked his. He, he wrote, go DJ. That's my DJ. Welcome back. And he put a photo of them turning a double play. So in talking with Bruce Beck, Luke Voigt added, hopefully we get him because he wants to play the rest of his career in New York. DJ himself told you, I want to stay here. I've said that a few times. The deal he signed ended up giving the Yankees a hometown discount, and LeMahieu will be lauded once fans are allowed back in the stadium for his loyalty and his allegiance to this team. Qualities that are becoming extinct, extremely extinct, I should say, among professional athletes in all of sports. DJ the Machine LeMahieu, a total team player who has played first, second, and third base for the New York Yankees over the past two seasons. It's easy to see why Yankees fans fell in love with the quiet LeMahieu and his blue-collar work ethic. The contract also affords the Yankees the flexibility to make more moves while still avoiding having to pay the luxury tax, for now at least. But even with LeMahieu's re-signing, I know any sensible Yankees fan knows or knew on Friday that this team is far from complete. In fact, Brian Cashman told the world he was going to wait until DJ made a decision either way before making any other moves. Well, while the ink was seemingly still drying on the LeMahieu contract, Brian Cashman also got Corey Kluber to sign on the dotted line. Kluber hosted a showcase for about 25 teams, which is 83% of the league in Florida on Wednesday. He was adamant about wanting a deal by the end of this weekend. And apparently, his velocity was on target, his command was good, and that's really all I've heard. So Brian Cashman obliged. You'd have to think that Cashman and the Yankees had an inside track on Kluber, though, meaning the best evaluation of him beyond the showcase. That based on these two factors. One, the place at which Kluber worked out for the scouts, Eric Cressy, who oversees the New York Yankees' strength and conditioning programs, owns it. Kluber already has a relationship with him. And number two, the Yankees' new-ish analytics-driven pitching coach, Matt Blake, yeah, Kluber worked with him in Cleveland. In fact, after my statistical analysis... Kluber was my recommendation for the New York Yankees. Time-stamped and everything. You saw it. I posted online. There's a lot to like about Kluber. For one, I like that he wanted a one-year prove-it deal. 
that should tell us a lot that he's betting on himself. But can he get back to AL Cy Young status, which he won in, in 2014 and 2017? Well, here comes the not-to-like part. He's only pitched 36 and two-thirds inning in both 2019 and 2020 combined. There is an injury concern. But regardless, it's a relatively low-risk, potentially really high-reward move for the Yankees that are so desperate for starting pitching behind Garrett Cole. So last week, we left off here in this program saying bye-bye-bye to Adam Guru, Adam Disgrace Gase, and we used Michael Buble to set the tone for a new dawn and a new day in Jets Nation. Well, this week, we talk about how the Jets pulled the trigger in hiring one of, if not the most highly sought-after available head coaching candidate in this cycle, Robert Sala. After interviewing nine candidates online, the Jets got their man. I tried to choose a song for tonight to both convey my message, hello, that was Martin Slovig, hello, and match the intensity level of the new Jets head coach and former San Francisco 49ers defensive coordinator. I obviously went with obviously that upbeat song. I, I, you know, I know we don't know really much about him, and more importantly, his philosophy, and more importantly, his vision for the Jets, other than his resume and maybe what people around him in San Francisco have said about him. Obviously, that will come in the introductory press conference, which I imagine is going to be this upcoming week. So maybe depending on that, on next week's show, we can give him the Taylor Swift treatment that Joe Judge, Sabrina Ionescu, and Francisco Lindor got here on McCartan After Midnight. But in any event, here's what two really important 49ers said about him. Kyle Shanahan, who's the 49ers head coach, said, As a friend, I respect him greatly and could not be happier for him. And John Lynch, 49ers GM, said, Robert is a great coach and an even better person. So the Jets interviewed him virtually on, like, not Friday, but the Friday before. And then they flew him in for an in-person meeting. And he was the only one that they met with in person on Wednesday. He was act- They were actually scheduled to meet with um, Arthur Smith later Wednesday. And they didn't. Salah was in the building as of like early morning to like 2 p.m. on Wednesday. And then the Jets let him go to Philadelphia. Jets Twitter was losing their minds. But late Thursday night, the news broke that the Jets got their guy, and I'll be honest, I really couldn't fall asleep that night out of excitement for the team. Salah sounds like the real deal, you guys. Joe Staley, 49ers offensive tackle, perhaps summed it up best. He said, I am so damn excited for Salah. He is a leader, an unbelievable man and coach. I can't wait to watch him turn around the Jets organization. Let me tell you something. A now retired 12-year NFL veteran would know probably better than anyone that may be questioning his abilities to orchestrate a whole team effort. We can, of course, tonight talk about some more positives and more negatives surrounding Salah. And let's do an entire analysis of the situation while we're at it, as you've grown accustomed to here on my show. Yeah, before we get to James Harden saying hi to all the haters tonight, um, that was a throwback to 2008, Mano. Remember him? We cannot leave out the fact that Kyrie Irving, who is making close to $35 million this season, has not played in a Nets game since January 5th. January 5th! That's like six games. There has been no explanation. There has been no statement. and Not even on his Instagram account. 
But there has been a video that caught the attention of the NBA circulating around the internet of him maskless at his sister's birthday party with a ton of people in indoor attendance in the middle of a pandemic. It's reckless behavior and it's an extremely selfish act considering that the league is doing its best to make sure that all games go on as scheduled without sending players to the bubble, which, oh, by the way, Mr. Irving outright opposed when it was first voted upon for last season. So the NBA fined him $50,000 for violating the, the league's health and safety protocols. Big whoop for him, as we used to say in elementary school. He will also forfeit the salary for any games that he missed while quarantining. Two. Total cost, 870000 Also, big whoop. And the Nets continue to protect him. He was eligible to return for Saturday's game against the Magic, but didn't. Guess what? The Nets allowed him to collect a check for that missing that Saturday night game. Hell of an introduction for coaching uh, for a first-year head coach, Steve Nash, isn't it? The James Harden experiment. The former Houston Rocket has lifted off, albeit from a new, more urban launch pad. And what, seemed, what remains to be seen is whether or not Brooklyn will have a problem long-term with a big three of players who all need to dominate handling the ball. The last I checked, there is still only one ball in play at a time. But here we see James Harden, 2018 and. Uh, NBA MVP, scoring champ in each of his last three seasons, seven-time All-NBA, eight-time All-Star, and a guy that is sixth on the list for career points per game since the merger, 25.2. You know what's missing? An NBA title. His arrival, coupled with Kyrie Irving's mysterious absence, actually kind of makes this team stronger in his absence. The problem, in my opinion, isn't going to be Harden. It's actually going to be Kyrie Irving and his ability to handle being the number three guy or not. Which, let's be honest, when whenever he decides to come back from wherever he is, for whatever reason, he's not going to like that role. Harden promised in his introductory press conference, "I'm going. it's going to be a movie. Stay tuned. Yeah, so are his taxes. He's expected to pay $13 million more here in New York than he did in Texas. And we paid attention tonight. Admittedly, I was flipping between the, the Nets Magic game and the Green Bay LA game, but... From what I saw, James Harden was stellar in his opening night as a net. And I watched a lot of it. He looked noticeably thinner. He looked excited. He looked intense. And guess what? He did not look like the ball hog that everyone said he was going to be. Two steals within the first half of the first quarter. Had Joe Harris on an alley-oop that Harris ended up passing away. I don't know why. He made a behind-the-back no-look pass to Jeff Green, who drained a wide-open three. The guy's got amazing court vision. And Durant had a down first half. You saw Harden on the sidelines cheering him on and encouraging him. He finished with a triple-double. We could start with the 14 assists. Or do you want to talk about the 12 rebounds? He was actually boxing guys out on the offensive glass. Then you could tack on the 32 points. Oh, and also, by the way, he played 40 minutes. He and Durant were tied with game highs. And the Nets won by seven. And about the weight. Enough with the fat shaming. It's really gross, actually. The guy, in my opinion, showed up purposely overweight in order to force a trade. When that didn't work, he had to pull more drastic measures. He told you in the opening press conference, I'm as motivated as they come. And he seems like he's going to be a non-headache teammate, to be honest, after I watched that entire press conference and saw what he did tonight. That was my takeaway feeling. And I think as long as the big three is on their best behavior, meaning playing, sharing, and and eating their egos, 
think this team is lethal. That's a big if, though. You hear all the time from players on teams that have won championships about how the entire team checks their egos at the door. For the Nets' sake, hopefully Harden, Durant, and Irving will do the same. Coming up after this quick pause, we're going to recap some of the divisional round games from Saturday. By the way, everybody, pat myself on the back here. I am 7-1 in NFL playoff predictions. Those damn Steelers! I'll also give you my picks for Sunday as well. So lots to do tonight, lots to get to. I have set the table for you all. It's time to eat. I can't wait to talk with you guys. 877-337-6666. I'm Danielle McCartan. After midnight on The Fan in New York City. The Jets have a new head coach, Robert Sala. And the only place to talk about him throughout the weekend is your flagship station for New York and NFL football. The Fan, Sports Radio 1019, WFAN-FM, and always streaming on WFAN.com. Working on a weekend like usual. Way off in the deep end like usual. Swear they passed us, they doing too much. Haven't done my taxes, I'm too turned up. Oh yeah, here we are. McCartney after midnight. Pat and I, we are working on the weekend like usual. There has been a ton, a slew of news coming into New York sports this week. But quickly, quickly, the um, the divisional round games from Saturday. Like I told you, I am 7-1. and one. Those damn Steelers screwed me twice in one season. Quick recap here. Um, I actually want to start with the Ravens-Bills game because the Bills are returning to the AFC Championship for the first time since 1994. And just now on the commercial break, I was like, you know what? What was the world like in 1994? Because I was not even six years old yet. So maybe these three things I just pulled up during a commercial. One, in 1994, the last time the, the Bills were in the AFC Championship game, Pulp Fiction hit theaters in 1994. Um, Fitting. Uh, O.J. Simpson's Bronco was seen um, slowly, slowly going down the freeway there in California. And the number one song in 1994, the last time the Bills were in the AFC Championship game, was Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You. And I will not sing that because I cannot. So that's a glimpse into what... um, when the last time the Bills were um, in the AFC Championship game? It's sort of kind of relevant. Game one, I, that was the lock for me of the entire weekend. I mean, come on. The L.A. Rams at the Green Bay Packers, wind chill of 27 degrees, could not have felt good with Jared Goff's thumb with, I think they said, three pins in it. Come on. You had Sean McVay, 34 years old, versus Matt LaFleur, 41. As you heard probably in the broadcast. I had it before that, though. The youngest head coaching playoff match, matchup since 1970. Don Shula versus John Madden. It was Shula's first playoff game that year as Dolphins head coach, but Madden's Raiders ended up winning 21-14. I mean, this game was, this this current game, the Packers-Rams game, was such a lock for me. Just all I needed to think about, I really didn't even do much thinking. I just said to myself, if the Jets were able to fly to Los Angeles after being beaten so bad by, by the Seattle Seahawks, and they couldn't even stay on the West Coast, they had to come back and go back out to L.A., If the Jets were able to carve up the Rams' defense and beat them in their own turf, Aaron Rodgers was certainly going to be able to do so at home. And he did. Rodgers finished with a quarterback rating of 108, two touchdowns, zero INTs, and a 64% completion percentage. My brother, the Packer fan, of course, is very happy. So let's get to your calls. 877-337-6666. And also my friends in Vegas, uh, Christina, she is also very happy. They are Bills fans. So... Um, 
People around me are all happy. It's only a matter of time, I guess, until my team makes it there, right? I hope. Kevin in Camden, you lead us off tonight. What's up? What's up, Coach? I want to talk about the uh, Nets and the Jets, but I'm going to start off with the Brooklyn Nets first. Uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to be honest with you. When I heard the news that Harden was traded, uh, I initially, my reaction was the flashback to the Pearson Garnett deal. Mm-hmm. Because I'm thinking, oh, man, didn't John Mark say he wasn't going to do this? Like he said when he took the job, he wasn't going to put all his chips on one table. And he did. And he did. He traded the farm. And I mean, this is like uh, he's standing there with a match. And this is that, either That was my reaction. Yeah, I, mean, I, know. I know. I initially didn't like it. I, I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't like it. But, you know? Kevin, did you but, watch the game no, tonight? How did he play tonight? Oh, no, he played phenomenal. See? And I'm like, you know what? I will, I will, I will support it. I hope they win. Because I haven't, I, I haven't even sniffed anywhere close to a basketball title, and you know I want to see, I want to see a New York basketball team win. I want to see it. Yeah. So I'm going to be pulling for it. But I'm going to be honest with you. The, another concern I have, Kyrie. All right, look, I've already had enough with him, but I don't know what he can do. I don't know if he, if his ego can coexist with the three. Because I know we know the rank can, can sacrifice. He did that in Golden State. Mm-hmm. Harden seems like the guy he's willing to sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Kyrie, I don't see it with his big ego and his not-so-bright decisions. So I don't know. Where Hopefully is he? And Kevin, where is he? Exactly. That, if, why, why, why would you do a, a, your sister's birthday party with no mask? I mean, are, are ha- you that dense, Kyrie, really? I know, I know. You, you should know. You should know better. I know. I, I don't get it. And real quick about Robert Salah. I love the Robert Salah hire for the Jets. I, you know, wasn't my guy. My guy was the enemy. But he's a solid guy. And he's not coming alone. Let's keep let's keep this in mind. Mike LaFleur mm-hmm. is coming with him. He's the brother of the Packers coach. So I'm thinking, and, and they're calling him a guru, offensive guru. Oh, I'm Kevin, I never want to hear that word again here. No, I'm saying, but that's what, they're, that's what they're calling him. <laughs> I'm just saying. Oh, God, no. But I'm just, uh, I'm hoping, I just want, and I, and like I said, I think Sam Darnold should come back. But again, Mac Jones, if they don't elect to keep Darnold, that's the guy. I've seen him this year. He's the guy. And I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that he's going to be like Trevor, because nobody's going to be like Trevor, but he's the second best quarterback in, in the class, in my opinion. Well, but, that's a big statement there, Kevin. I hope that I'm, when we, when, when we yep. go over the draft time, we, we, can, we can talk about that. But um, I, I'm pretty sure, and thanks for the call, Kevin, as always. Welcome. You're welcome. I'm I'm pretty sure that um well from what I've read that basically that Sam Darnold is pretty much safe. On Saturday, Chris Mortensen said, uh this is a tweet, um it was sort of a long tweet, but I'll just pick out phrases here. Um so many believe that Matt LaFleur brings a scheme or Mike LaFleur brings a scheme that's ideal for Darnold and is not cut and dry for Darnold's future. Sources say Douglas will keep all options open. Uh, that's good news for um, Darnold fans, I think, right? And then they're also saying that th- that includes further evaluating Darnold. Even while Salah has a favorable view of him, they will be weighing any potential trade offers, trade offers for the number two pick. and you know, right. It's just a much, bunch of mumbo-jumbo as to try not to give away the Jets' 2021 draft nuclear code. I think Sam Darnold's here to stay, and I hope he is, for one more season and you really get a good evaluation of him in a good system with a good teaching, hopefully teaching. Well, we'll hear about that in the press conference, I, I would assume. 
Um, but a good head coach with a good scheme and, and, and some players around him. My God. Speaking of players around him, I think Richard Sherman might look good in a Jets uniform. We can talk about that in a second. Back to your calls. Let's go to Campbell in Lyndhurst. You called up second, so you are second on the fan here tonight. Campbell, what's up? What's up, Danielle? Uh, first, it's an honor. I've always wanted to do this since I was little, but now I'm officially able to do it. All right, so you're here. I, want, <laughs> um, I just want to like, brief on, on the uh, Devils and how their young core is uh, coming up. Three points out of four, and uh, just against a good Bruins team, a Bruins team that had their longtime captain, Zidane Chara, go to the Washington Capitals after General Manager John Sweeney told him that they were just going to go younger and he was just going to limit ice time. And he, out of respect, they parted ways mutually. And so, but I mean, for a Devils team that many on paper last year thought this was the captain contender, and Everything just fell through, and now you're seeing more and more young youth come up, and because uh, they looked solid the first game, lost in the shootout, uh, and they came back far hard, and they won in overtime. And I just gotta say, this double team, I don't get, I don't think they get enough respect, but of course, with teams like the Rangers and the Islanders, who are also good style teams. I just think that this system that Lindy Ruff is putting in, these players are buying in. Jack Hughes looks so phenomenal. Um, and uh, a player that has been in the AHL the past few years and he got came to KHL actually in Russia and then he played of course, so that was in a couple games. Yegor Sharanovich. I mean, this kid is just wearing, he's wearing number 17. That's my number. I am number 17. It, Campbell, how wore, exciting was that last play, that last goal in overtime? It was very exciting because I really didn't think that they were going to win in overtime. Because of course, the Bruins, they're a bunch of, they're a good defensive team. Of course, Bergeron, Krejci, Marchand, uh, Tugaras wasn't playing in that that. Uh, yesterday, and but I mean, all these young guys like Hughes, Gustav. Well, Gustav's only twenty; he's in his late twenties, but he's only the second year in Kevin, the league. How about this, mm-hmm. uh, Campbell? I'm sorry. How about this, Miles Wood coming out? And, and thanks for the call there, Campbell. And then he's a very excited Devils fan. And how about Miles Wood coming out in the first 19 seconds and causing a fight and picking a fight? With Kevin Miller. I mean, it was 19 seconds into the game. I thought that was amazing. I think that these Tevils are are young. They're fiery. And uh, they're a little bit, you know, surprising. We'll see what happens. I I really do think, though, that that the alignment of these games, these short series is, I mean, you already saw it. There was already a fight 19 seconds into the game, right? So you're already seeing how the effect of, like, playing each other so close you know, back-to-back in some situations, maybe even, um, really affects the rivalries. I mean, it's regional play, first of all. Regional play so close together. I mean, come on. I think this might be a change coming to the NHL moving forward. You know, this pandemic has, has forced us to change the way we do things sometimes. And um, and I really think that this this is going to be one of those things that kind of just sticks. You know, the... the uh, the series is like baseball. 
And I got a, a tweet from Chris Wynn out in Vegas. He does Vegas Sports Radio. He said, I'm legitimately well annoyed that the lowly Jets got native Detroiter. He's from Detroit, Chris. And highly sought after coach Robert Sala. As a Lions fan, I wanted him here super duper duper bad. <laughs> one hashtag one pride. Well, he didn't get him. The Jets did. Let's go to Brian in South Philly. You're on the fan. Hey, I want to talk about Harding. Do you think now the Nets need to go out and get more uh, size? Um, I, I, don't, I don't know about size. I just think depth. I think the Nets need depth oh, more definitely, than Definitely, definitely. So I would prioritize I mean, that over, over size for sure. I mean, but they only have uh, DeAndre Jordan as as the center. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, giving him Allen right. hurts. I mean, it was a great game tonight seeing him back. I mean, Harden. Hopefully, Irving will help out if he's mentally there. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> that that remains to be seen. You know, it's just it's like yeah. these nets are going to be literally day to day, day to day. Who's checked in? Day to day, who's checked out? And that's just how it's going to be. I mean, unfortunately or unfortunately, that that's what it's going to be. I mean, they have some depth with, with Shemet and Brown. Yeah. Yeah, some. But I still think they need some size, and they need and they need more uh, more shooters. Shooters? I, I don't think they need more shooters. I mean, I think they're all shooters. No, no I mean they're going to need more three point shooters for to come the playoffs. You need that. I know. You saw it. You saw it in the games last year. I know, but when you have a guy like Joe Harris that can knock it down, he he's a, a deadly sharpshooter from behind the three. Come on, real right. Oh, definitely. Okay, and then you got a guy like I'm. I'm just looking up now because they were nailing him tonight. Three point field goals. Kevin Durant had five uh, earlier tonight. Joe Harris had four. James Harden had three. That's pretty good. That's that's pretty sp- uh, spreading the ball around around the three point arc. Uh, Harden came into this game looking to be unselfish big time tonight. I think he had he had a lot to prove. We'll see. Well, he, he was on his best behavior tonight. Let's just put it that way. Let's see if this continues. <laughs> uh, like you said, it's game to game. Yeah. Yep. It's exactly what it's going to be. Totally. 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 Well, Brian, appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for picking up the phone there, Brian. Thanks. And that's, that is how this Nets team – what an introduction to coaching. First year co- head coaching for, uh, for Steve Nash. I mean, wow. You've got three superstars on one team. Three superstars with superstar egos also all on the same team. So far, he's been navigating it. Probably not the way I would have been navigating it. But maybe he's not in charge of making those decisions. I think Nets fans would have been real happy if Kyrie Irving was included in that trade package somewhere along the line, um, to be really honest with you. And I, I think out of the players that they, they lost and the picks that they lost, I think Jared Allen um, is is the real dagger in the whole trade. Cause I, I, you know, I looked right before, you know, right before they switched teams and everything over Jared Allen. Well, first of all, Karis Levert was leading the team in points per game. Um, at the time of the trade, Jared Allen was leading the team in rebounds per game. And Karis Levert was reading, leading, leading the team in assists per game as well. So that's that, those are some big holes to, I don't want to say fill, Maybe cover. Those are some big hit holes to, to cover. I mean, 
Listen, James Harden was on his best behavior tonight. I mean, I watched the whole press conference, which, by the way, was really late. He was very late coming on, and I was not too happy. He was like at least an hour late. But he said all the right things, and and tonight he kind of backed it up. I mean, he he told Bruce Beck. Bruce Beck had one of the first questions. He said, I'm an elite player, an elite teammate, and an elite leader. I think you saw it tonight. And I, besides the behind-the-backers, the, the three-pointers and all that, I think you saw it. when I, Like I said in the open, Kevin Durant was having a down night, and he was on, you know, ch- going to check into the game, waiting, waiting his turn to come in. He was on the sideline, standing up, clapping, cheering him on, and giving him the ball. That is an elite teammate. That's an elite leader. You know, to work out of the rut. The shots will fall. Everybody knows the shots. If you play basketball, they tell you the shots are going to fall. And that's what happened with Durant. And he told you the Nets were atop his list. But there were other t- few teams in it as well. And as far as his conditioning level, they asked him about it in the press conference. He said, great. With a little laugh. Obviously, we know he's not um, totally back. He will be, though. He's an elite athlete. He's kind of a cook. Uh, you know, he got the whole the whole nine. He'll be back, unlike us. I ran two miles today, and then I ate Applebee's for dinner. So here we are. <laughs> All right, we've got um, big moves for the Yankees. Yankees made two huge moves in, I don't know, the span of like a, a work day. They've signed, re-signed DJ LeMahieu, and they've signed Corey Kluber. We'll get your thoughts on that after the break. Hey, what's going on? It's the Moose. Coming up Monday after Boomer and Geo at 10 a.m. It's Moose and Maggie right here on The Fan. Reacting to the divisional round of the playoffs. Who's set up for championship Sunday? We'll get into it. Plus, now that DJ LeMahieu's back with the Yankees, where should they look next? Nick Swisher will join us. We hope you will, too, at 10 a.m. on Sports Radio 101.9 FM and Radio.com. Welcome back to McCartan After Midnight, everybody. I am Daniel McCartan. He is Pat Boyle, taking your calls all the way up until 6 a.m. On this divisional round Sunday. Exciting games including Pat's Cleveland Browns. Coming up on this Sunday. That's the early game, right Pat? The 3 o'clock game? Correct. Alright, so we will do some picks, Pat and I, for that coming up. But, before we get to that, one of the most, um, I could say recent or pressing or, or biggest, if you're a Yankee fan, news coming out of the team this past week was the re-signing of DJ LeMahieu. Coupled with, coupled with, um, the signing of Corey Kluber. Now some stats for you. Nah, maybe not. Maybe not some stats, but a, a picture here. DJ LeMay, you guys, he's built for Yankee Stadium. Twenty-seven of his thirty-six home runs as a Yankee were hit at home. Seventeen of those Yankee Stadium home runs were hit to the short porch in right field. Not that he's trying to jack them out of the park; they're just going. Because LeMahieu, which is what I love about him, has the fifth lowest degree of launch angle recorded last year. Average. J.D. Davis was sixth, by the way. Mets fans. Let me translate. This guy hits for average, does not uppercut or swing for the fences. For comparison purposes, Judge and Stanton, according to Baseball Savant, they did not meet the minimum batted ball events to qualify. So the highest angle, D.J. LeMahieu's... uh, was it was like in the single digits, I guess. Joey Gallows was 26.8 degrees. That's a big difference. So DJ LeMahieu, built for Yankee Stadium. That's where his power is. And he's really not trying to hit it out. It just happens to go out 
Those are more than the Yankees need more of those kind of guys. Will they make another move like that? We'll see. Let's go back to your phone calls. 877-337-6666. Philip in Freeport. You're on the fan. You should never be uh, uncomfortable on the roads. I heard you in the beginning of the year. I mean, where were you, by the way? On the West Side Highway, all the way down. And if you called, like, you know, uh, you know, go right to the commissioner, because I'm a commissioner for the Housing Authority. Mm -hmm. What I'm telling you is this, before I get to the sports. Yeah. They have cameras everywhere. And if you see people whipping by you, like putting you in jeopardy, they will absolutely, like, go to that area, get the license plates, and that's it. But it's up to you to, like, you know... Say what what you felt. You know, I'm only doing this because of the people that are listening. It, 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 it's very scary out there at times. So, what, what, can I can I do it now, or do I have to do oh, it I, in the moment? You, listen, at your leisure, you could say, "Listen, I was in this area mm-hmm. at this time." Right at this time, they go, "Oh, great! We had the cameras right there up at the post, up on the lamp post." Who had, do I call? Uh, me personally, I go right to people. You know. One, you know, the the top rash, you know, maybe, I don't know, on Monday. You don't have to, like, do it tonight, but you could go right to the precinct where, you, where you're at or go to the, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, commission. I would go right to Shea. <laughs> Commissioner I, Shea. Get him on the know, phone, you Pat. Know, you know why? <laughs> because he loves to hear from the streets, you know, what's going on. And when I, when I heard you, I'm like, she's not just saying this out loud because she's like, you know, has nothing else to do. Yeah, I know. I typically stick to sports always, and that was just kind of bothering me tonight, actually. Yeah, it's not a good thing, but, you know, segueing right, uh, other things that you talked about, listen, the Yankees should be very happy they got him at $90 million mm-hmm. because this guy is one of the best baseball players out there. Yes. I mean, how's uh, Bryce Harper's uh, contract compared to his? Yeah. How's Giancarlo Stanton's? How about that? Handcuffing the Yankees oh, for, for years. Sure. And you know what? You know, I understand he's gonna he's not gonna play the first five or six games because he's not happy with the hot dogs at uh, Yankee Stadium. So, <laughs> you know, I'm being sarcastic. You know, Kyrie yeah. everything. Listen, you have to put your foot down with these stars, okay? And if you don't, they'll run you all over the place. But what happened to Harden tonight? I mean, if I'm not mistaken, Danielle, I think he's the first player ever, ever in the NBA to come in, like, to a new team or whatever and do a, a triple-double. I mean, Yeah, that, yeah, I think I saw that on the broadcast, too. Yes. yes. But in, in closing, though, and you yeah, have such a great show, by the way. Oh, thank you. Very impressive. Thanks. But the Yankees are very fortunate that he signed that way because if you lose him, everything starts to change. And they need Tanaka. They need a few other. You don't know if uh, a clue, uh, Corey's going to be a top-brass pitcher. I mean, he was, but... This guy's hurt. You know, you have a lot of questions out there. Brian Cashman has always whiffed. And some people say, Phil, how could you actually say that? When I hang up, you let me know. He's always whiffed a little bit, you know, on, on pitchers. He has to get that starting, you know, four or five solid. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, the Yankees will not win. Great show. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Philip, and thanks, uh, right. thanks for the tip there. Um, sorry about that. I cut you off there. Thanks for the tip. Uh, yeah, I mean, when, I mean, the Yankees haven't had – I just, my mind went back to 2009. The last time they won the World, I was going to say Super Bowl, last time they won the World Series, they had um, they had a good pitching staff, a, a really good one. And I don't know if that's going to happen in, in one season, though, um, rebuilding it in one season. I, you know, Yankees fans obviously want it to happen. And, of course, um, getting Corey Kluber is a help. But who else is out there? 
I looked at, in my opinion, the top three would be Kluber, which he's now signed with the Yankees, Paxton, and Odorizzi. I mean, do you really want to take a flyer on, on the other two? Or is it going to have, or, or is the next starting pitcher going to have to come via, via trade? Maybe the Yankees trade for Luis Castillo. There's been reports that the Yankees want him, and it will not come cheap. So what do you give up? What do you give up for a Luis Castillo? Without decimating your team like the Nets did. I mean, what do you do? Where do you start? You know what I would do? Call me crazy. I'd include Glaber Torres in a deal. I'd include Glaber Torres in a deal, and I would sign... D.D. Gregorius back to shortstop. Because LeMahieu being back, he's you got Void at first, LeMahieu at second, Torres at shortstop, which he's not great, and Urshela at third base. Bring D.D. Gregorius back to shortstop. He's a lefty bat. He would be making, you know, somewhat affordable money. And you you chip off. There's no, there's no place for Glaber Torres to play. He's an attractive piece. I'd send him away to get a guy like Castillo back. Of course I would. So that will be something to watch moving forward. Um, I don't know what else I would include in that, though. It'd have to be some prospects. Maybe you send over Torres and, and Andujar. I'm just thinking out loud here, you know. I, I don't know. Maybe you guys can tell me. What would you guys include in a trade package for Luis Castillo? Because the Yankees, it seems to have gotten hot and heavy with him. But the last thing you want to do is sell the farm, just like the Brooklyn Nets did. Keith in Shelton, Connecticut. Keith, you're on the fan. Hey, Daniel, what's up? What's up? Doesn't it feel like Harden and Durant took care of business night? Like, between the two of them, Yeah. it was, what, 75 points. Um, 40 I'm not minutes sure each. that's going to last forever. You know what I mean? Well, it can't. You know, it can't. I mean, you, you cannot expect 40 minutes each out of both of them. You know what I mean? Like, Durant's coming off the injury. Harden is not in the best shape. I think that tonight was just like a here NBA, here world. Yeah, they can play together. Yeah, they can be unselfish. And now we're going to make some adjustments after that. That's what I think. Yeah, so um, I'm not sure. Are they just holding off until their boy Kyrie comes back? And then, honestly, like, losing Jared Allen is huge. Huge. Like, all the bigs had, like, nine total rebounds. What I, what I will say, like, uh, Harden and Durant, they they got the rebounds. They did what they had to do. I mean, but Harden I was – I'm, saw not, Harden, I'm just not sure you could win like that. Right. You know what I mean? I know. I know. I saw Harden boxing somebody out. I have never seen the Nets box somebody out all season. Well, Joe Harris, I think, did it once. But I think that – now, I think Coach Nash needs to step up and, and sort of kind of change the philosophy a little bit because the Orlando Magic are not really good at scoring points, and they put up a lot tonight, over 100 tonight. You can't be scoring 140 points every single game. You know what I mean? It's just it's it's unsustainable well, I mean, for the long term. No, I totally agree. Um, the defensive side, I mean, forget about it. But, like, yeah. Durant, <laughs> I feel like they just said, Hey, we can kind of carry a team against whatever. We, when Kyrie comes back, I think they just held it off for their boy, boy Kyrie. Does that make any sense? I don't know. 
I don't know. And Keith, thanks for the call. I, you know, it's 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 impossible to get into the head of, of, of Kyrie Irving and even those that are trying to handle him. You obviously need to handle the guy with kid gloves. That's first and foremost. Uh, and, and see, the problem is if you come down hard on him, which is the way I would, you run the risk of losing him to another team. And maybe if you're a Net fan, you're like, okay, so be it. I'll take my chances. But after what you just did, you mortgaged the farm. You mortgaged the, not only the farm, the, but the future. And two starters. Well, one starter, really. In the deal for Harden. I mean, you, you kind of need Kyrie Irving. So he's kind of got the Nets exactly where he wants them. And it's a tough situation. And I think people would be able to grapple with this a little bit better had there been an explanation. Listen, we all don't feel like going to work sometimes. We all don't feel like it. Admit it. Nobody is 100% all the time gung-ho about getting up in the morning and jumping out of bed and saying, I'm getting dressed, brushing my teeth, and I can't wait to go to work. Every single time? Okay. Right. We all agree on that. However, when I take... When I take a day off, I tell my boss, I call out, I have to make lesson plans. I work more being out of school than I am in school, to be honest with you, creating the lesson plans, grading the work after, you know what I mean? I'm a teacher. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, I'm a teacher during the week. I am accountable for, you know, I I make sure everybody knows that I'm not going to be there. And then even I have to justify myself once I get back where I was. To people that ask. That's what Kyrie Irving should be doing. People should know and be aware of where he is. Okay, personal reasons. Okay. Personal reasons. What kind of personal reasons? Are we are you getting him the help he needs if he needs help? Because when you look at the video, that incriminating video of him having a grand old time with no mask. At his sister's birthday party, to me, that looks like a guy that is taking advantage of the situation. Taking advantage. He's still collected a paycheck. Except for when he was suspended for COVID protocols. But every other game he's missed, uh, there were two games that he was suspended for COVID protocols. But every other game that he's missed so far, he's been collecting the paycheck from the Nets. And they even babied him enough that he got the paycheck for tonight's game. He was active, didn't play, still got paid. The buck needs to stop here. And I know the Nets fined him $50,000. I know the league took $870,000 from him for those two games. But for a guy that makes $35 million a year, that's that's not really like a lot. And what are you going to do with him? You're going to bench him when he comes back? You can't. You can't bench him. So this is the definition of of privilege to be able to skip work, collect your millions, and so far not have to give any sort of explanation. To me, that's sickening. You owe it. You, as a player, you owe it to your organization. You owe it to your teammates. And you owe it to the fans. He didn't even tell his head coach he wasn't going to be there. I think he texted somebody on the team to tell the coach. That does not fly on my high school teams. Tell tell her to, no, you have to tell me. That doesn't fly, even on a high, my high school team. 
and not to mention his teammates having to answer for him day in and day out. I feel for those guys in the locker room. They have every right to be annoyed with him. And, of course, the Jets have a new head coach. Great. Let's paint a rosy picture for the New York Jets. They have a brand-new head coach that seems to be the real deal, and the Yankees got their guys and doesn't seem like they're done yet. And they also made some other roster moves, too. Um, Welcome back in the second hour of McCartan After Midnight here on The Fan of New York City. I am Danielle McCartan coming to you from the Mike Francesa studio. And as I look around, uh, I've noticed that these these mannequins here have uh, changed positions. Everything's there's always some different things happening in this studio that I can never explain. Who is that on the right side? Someone ripped that guy in half. Pat, who is this guy that was ripped in half on the side over here? Where? Is that Joe Beningo? Joe Beningo was ripped oh, in half. Oh, yeah, they ripped his head off, and they uh, Carton and them auctioned it off. Oh, my God. What? Yeah, Joe's uh, <laughs> Joe Beningo head. Well, I guess that's um, it went to some sort of charity, I hope. I think. <laughs> How would you mail that? And what would you put that in to mail that? Great question. Oh, my God. Yeah, UPS. Hey, UPS, you guys got those? Uh, any more of those Joe Beningo uh, you know, cutout cardboard envelopes so we could send this? This head? I know. It makes me think of, you see Borat, too? Yes. Oh, but he, they're sending each other the faxes. <laughs> Laughs out loud funny. Everybody's like, I can't believe you like that movie. I, I am a little stunned you like that movie. I, I love it. I can't get enough of it. Laugh out loud funny. Do you like his, Do you like the first Borat? Yeah. Do you I, like when the, uh, the other one was it The Dictator, the other movie he did? No, I didn't see that one. It was, you know, you know same, same line of comedy. Yeah. I have to check it out then. I love Borat. Borat too. But that makes me think of like, can you imagine being the UPS driver? Like, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, what is this? Uh, that would be another question. What, maybe what is next would be a better question for the New York Yankees. They've got DJ LeMayhew back. They've signed Corey Kluber, which I think the Yankees had an inside track to Corey Kluber. I think he's going to have an, a phenomenal year. That's what I think. It's a one-year deal. I love that. I love when players sign that one-year deal, they want to prove that they can they could be what they once were. And good news for the Yankees, Corey Kluber was once a two-time Cy Young winner. So that's good news for the Yankees. You know, Mets, we're not really talking about the Mets tonight because they really didn't make many moves, really. Um, but the Yankees, and the caller brought it up before, the Yankees need starting pitching. They've always, you can never have enough pitching, right? But the Yankees need starting pitching so badly. It's so desolate behind Garrett Cole. You got Severino coming off the injury. You got Kluber coming off, not one, but two injuries. One being, one wasn't his fault. 2019, he took a line drive uh, and broke his arm. Okay, not his fault. The other one, though, is a little bit more concerning. Um, He, I guess it was a tear or a strain. I got to look at it, but... In the rotator cuff. He did not require surgery. He did blood plasma treatment instead. And that seemed to have, um, uh, you know, helped. So apparently he's 100% because you would not be signing a one-year deal if you were not 100%. That's what I'm trying to say. So the Yankees, I think, got a good one in Kluber. He was my pick for them. I, I ran the analysis. Um, and you know what else, too? The Yankees need guys that can eat innings. Whether or not Aaron Boone is going to allow him to eat the innings, that's one. That's another conversation we can have. But 
Corey Kluber, out of Paxton Kluber Odorizzi's, who I looked at, he for for a regular 162 game season, which is what the MLB is predicting. I don't know if it's going to work, but that's what they're that's the plan. 221 innings pitched. That is a lot. So he's a workhorse, clearly. And we're going to have to wait and see what what he is in game situations. The showcase is one thing. Game situations is a whole nother beast. All right, let's go to the calls. 877-337-6666. Robert in Brooklyn. You're on the fan. I'm on. Yes, you're Hello? on. Hello. You're, you're live, yeah, Robert. Um, yeah, I woke up and I heard you talking about Louis Castile mm-hmm. and trading Glaber Torres. Mm-hmm. Why would the Yankees want to trade away just about their best player? Well, one, Glaber Torres is not the Yankees' best player. And two, um, if you bring in another shortstop, whether it be this year or next year, um, where's he going to play? You don't think he's their best player? He's never, he's never hurt? No. You can't, you can't say just their best player. He can't stay healthy. So you're judging good and bad players based on if they're hurt or not? Yeah. I, I, plus, he had a, he, all right, maybe he had a, a so-so year for 60 games. But I don't count last year. You don't count I really it? I really don't count last year. Let me ask you. If the Yankees won the World Series, would you count it? It was, but yeah, but what yeah, I'm saying oh, is, yeah, okay, all no, right. Well, no, you can't have it both ways. You, you can't have it both 60, ways. Sixty games is not a long time. You could hit a slump. That's what I mean when I say I really don't count that. But look at his stats before that, okay? Plus, he's the youngest of all those Yankees. They got him under control for longer. Yeah, Luis Castillo. They would have him under control until twenty, the end of twenty twenty three season. The guy's a stud. You got to okay. Then let me ask you, Robert. You don't like my idea of including Glaber Torres. Who are you going to include in that trade for uh, Luis Castillo? I'm banking on some of them young pitchers. Wait. I'm banking on some of them young pitchers to come through. So you're not you don't want Castillo at all. I mean, I would like, but I'm, here's what I'm saying: they can't get everybody. They can't get everybody. They're going. They want. They're going to have to bank on them young pitchers. It's, that's what it's going to come down to. They can't get everybody. Jordan Montgomery's the answer. Domingo Herman, who we don't even know the extent of what he did, and he's the answer. Come on. Yeah. Come on, Robert. You know better than that. Yeah, okay. yeah all right. So you want to trade with Glaber Torres? I would include Glaber Torres and, and, in a package. Brain. Yep. All right. Well, it's a good thing you ain't you good thing you ain't got nothing to do with the match, I'm glad you're a teacher. That's an honest profession. <laughs> Robert, let me tell you something. <laughs> you got to give up something to get something. You understand what but I'm saying? I, I don't. I don't want Lewis Castillo. Okay, all right. So I'm, let me ask you something, since you're just so critical of, of my plan here. In, if you wanted Luis Castillo, who would you include in that package? I don't know. Oh, should I play I the know. Jeopardy music here for you? Come on, Robert. Nah, you're I'm live not, on the I, radio. I, I think about that. I'm not trading Glaber Torres. I'm not trading Glaber Who are you trading, Robert? I'm asking you who you would trade. I, I don't need – well, right now, what I'm saying is they need to bank on some of them young pitchers they got. That's not going to work, Robert. Keep... It didn't work. It didn't work. It, they had better pitchers last postseason, and it didn't work. Those guys are gone, and it, it's not going to work. You won't know unless you let them for a whole season. Okay. All right. We won't know unless they try. Okay. You call me back when the Yankees rolling with that line, that, that pitching rotation are, are – the winning percentage is at 300 through the first month of the season. You call me up again panicking. The Yankees need pitching help. And unfortunately, you have to give up something to get something. Luis Castillo is a stud pitcher, and he's, he's his salary for the year 2021 is going to be $4.2 million. $4.2 million. And he's got two more years of team control after that. 
You have to give up something to get something. Unfortunately, you couldn't answer the question, who are you giving up to get them? You couldn't answer it because it's not easy. I like Glaber Torres. Glaber Torres is one of my favorite Yankees, actually. But if you bring in another shortstop, whether it be this year or next year, in a sh- he, he's, he's not a good shortstop. He's a better second baseman. You have a defensive liability at shortstop. A liability at the mo- one of the, okay, the most important positions in the game, fielding-wise, right? I would put it as a shortstop one, catcher two, center field three. You have a liability. Maybe I'm biased because I was a shortstop, but any order of those. You have a liability in one of the top three defensive positions in Glaber Torres. You need to get somebody else there. And who is it going to be? Who is it going to be? You have to go out and get some. If this is the move you're making, Yankees, you have to go out and get somebody via free agency either this year or next year. But that would leave Glaber Torres without a position. And that's where the trade deal would kick in. If it's Luis Castillo that you want. You have a better proposal? Okay, call up Pat. 877-337-6666 is the phone number. Dave in Brooklyn, you're on the fan. Wow, I got to follow that guy? Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, listen, I'm not even a Yankee fan, but I will say this. Uh, you have, like, three top shortstops that are going to be free agents next year. Yeah. And you also have DD available now mm-hmm. if you needed him. And that guy has a hole in his glove. So I would I and Castillo is awesome. I wanted him on the Mets. I've been talking about my friends to trade for this guy for a month now. So if they could get him, you give up whatever you got to give up. Thank but whatever. You. Thank you. God bless you for the way you handled that call. <laughs> but uh, I just want to talk to you about uh, Salah. I guess that's how we pronounce his name, right? I think it's Salah, like S A L A. You know, pronunciation wise. I have not been excited about anything Jets-related since we drafted Donald, and that, and that really dissipated quickly. Yeah, me too. So, I know, but I, I really feel like I haven't heard one derogatory comment from anybody, and Richard Sherman loves this guy. He hates everybody. <laughs> if he likes this guy, I got a feeling he's going to wind up following him here to New York. I too. totally agree with you. I teased it a little bit before. He's a free agent starting at the end of this NFL season, I think, and the Jets yeah. have the cap room for him. I think he's going to yeah. be a Jet. Yes. Here's something else I don't know if anybody's aware of. You know the 49ers have 40 players that are coming up on contracts now that are going to be available? 40. Like that, are, that have the ability to vacate the team so we can make this yeah. 49ers East here in New York? I, I'm just saying that <laughs> yeah. these guys, they all, they want to run through a brick wall for this guy. So they seem like it, don't they? I, this guy didn't even want to go to his own hometown. Now, sorry about that guy from the Lions fan before, but I mean, I'm just <laughs> I just gave him facts straight up, but he didn't even want to go there. He said, I read multiple reports where he said this is where he wanted to be. And initially, he didn't want to leave here, but they they only wanted to give him five years initially or four years. What did he sign? Five years? Five years. Five years, yeah. Initially, they didn't want to give him more than four. That's why he went to Philly. Yeah. But then they must have called him back and and said, you know what? I I just love the fact that Joe Douglas is in charge of this. Mm -hmm. And... uh, you know, you could just tell it's different this time. And I, I don't know. I just I have a good feeling. And I just want to ask you, though, with the, I, I have a feeling we're stuck with Sam. I don't think we're going to even draft the quarterback. So what would you do? Would you take uh, 
the Heisman receiver with number two? Would you take the lineman with number two? Or would you trade back and maybe take the tight end picks from Miami with extra picks by trading back from number two? I know, and I I, I know, Dave. I'm gonna I'm gonna hang up on you so you can uh, so you can hear the answer to this because um, I know there's a little delay, especially when you call in. Um, but the Jets at number two have a lot of options, and you outlined them really quickly. Just just all of the options quickly that that they do have. Um, I do a really good um, draft analysis come draft time, about you know the end of February, beginning of March ish. But if I'm the GM of the Giants, and the other caller doesn't like that I'm uh, likes that I'm not in the GM of, of the Yankees, but uh, in order to give up something, you got to get something, right? So if I'm the GM of of the Jets, though, here's what I would do with the second pick: one. I'm okay with keeping Sam Darnold. I actually would like to see what Sam Darnold can do. I know there's some things about Deshaun Watson. You know what? The Jets are not a quarterback away from from winning the Super Bowl. Let's just put it that way. And Deshaun Watson, although he's you know the shiny the shiny Cadillac, or next season or the season after, and every season after that, he's due to make thirty five million dollars. I mean, what? No. What the Jets should do is this. Because Justin Fields was um, unimpressive to me. He, he's just unimpressive to me. Okay, so get that out of the way. I think what the Jets should do is this. Everybody's talking about Penny Sewell, right? Everybody's talking about him. But I got another name for you. Just keep an eye on. I'm not ready to commit just yet, but just to keep an eye on. Deontay Brown. Can we all agree that Mekhi Becton at 6'7", 364, is as good if not better than advertised. Can we all agree on that? So which OL offensive lineman in the 2021 draft is the next Becton? See, I would build like the Titans did from the inside out. Because if you go ahead and get that stud wide receiver and you have a quarterback that doesn't have time to throw it to him, what good is he? He's a waste. So you go, you trade, I would trade down Sewell Fine. I like Deontay Brown, too. I, I would trade down to wherever. I got to look and see again. But where you feel that you can get Deontay Brown and get a couple picks for that that second-round pick. Go and get that tight end, that safety net for the quarterback. I, I love that. That's a great idea. You look at these guys. Lamar Jackson. Mark Andrews he has. I mean, all of these guys have a good tight end. I mean, Tom Brady's tight end followed him from New England to Tampa Bay. Come on. Deontay Brown, put him on your radar. Out of Alabama, he's 6'4", 350 pounds. He came back for his fifth season. Right there, he tells me it's more likely that he's more mature than Sewell. He has not allowed, this is Deontay Brown, has not allowed a single sack across three seasons at Alabama in 865 snaps. He plays both left and right guard, which is important. I love the versatility. And if you're a Sewell fan from Oregon, well, we talked about him briefly, but he's 6'6", 331, about the same size. But he opted out of his 2020 junior season on September 7th via Twitter. So if you opt out of the 2020 season, what kind of shape are you in? What is it going to be the adjustment when you come back, not just to game speed, but to NFL game speed? That's a big question mark for me. And we can talk about this more when it gets closer, but I just, I'm telling you, 
Deontay Brown would be my first pick wherever that falls for the Jets. It's it, not at two. Um, maybe eight, nine-ish. I, you know, who knows? Maybe the Jets and Giants make a swap. I don't know. Yeah, but the Jets have t- tons of options. And then they also have a first-round pick, a second first-round pick this draft. So what I'm trying to say is that the Jets have even more options, especially if Brown is, is doesn't soar up anybody's draft boards. But now that I'm saying here, he, he might. You trade the number two pick. You still end up with Deontay Brown, who might be just as good as or better than the marquee name in Sewell, who was everybody's talking about. But I'm not ready to go there yet. I haven't done my research. Just some food for thought. But but that's kind of the way I hope I answered your question. That's kind of the way that I would go if I were the Jets. Trade down, take a lineman, then get an offensive piece, whether that be a tight end or see which wide receiver is still available. You got to wait and see. But um, maybe not a tight end in the, in the first round. Um, also, too, you'd also have to have to look at cornerbacks. That's a, that's a really important position. So, again, this is very, very early, very preliminary. It's only January, but that's right now my line of thinking. Okay, we'll get to more of your calls after the break. 877-337-6666. The Yankees had a good Friday. The Jets had a good week. And James Harden had a good night. I'm Daniel McCartan on the fan in New York City. Welcome everybody back to McCartan after midnight. I've been on the breaks and packet see me. I'm looking through all your tweets. I got a tweet from Joe at Later Law. Um, he said, "No way you give up Glaber Torres for Castillo. That's crazy. I'd rather not have Castillo. See now, but." Joe, I appreciate that you went and 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 answered the question. I, I asked them, what are you giving up for him? He said, you're right. Glaber ain't no shortstop, but has his hitting upside is huge. Put him back at second base. We'll find someone else for shortstop. DJ to first base, trade Voigt, says Joe on Twitter. He says, plus, you can in no way trust that Castillo can come here to New York and get the job done. Okay, that's speculation. But I, t- I tweeted him back. I said, I'm open to trading Voigt. But you talk about Gleyber Torres and his hitting upside. Did you forget that Voigt was the home run leader last uh, last season? And who are you just going to go and find to play shortstop at that point in time? I don't know. Yankees have a cap conundrum where uh, John Carlos Stanton is eating up, what is it, 26% of the cap? That's a lot. But in happier news, the Yankees re-signed DJ LeMahieu. Joe D. in Staten Island, you're on the fan. You know something, Danielle? I like hearing your broadcast and everything, but I don't agree with you with Torres. Who are you? Who would you put in a package then, Joe? Well, It's easy to say no Torres. It's easy to. I get it. I don't want to part with him, but who, were you, who would you package for a, a Castillo who's controllable through the end of the 2023 season? Yeah, but you, you, you really don't know how Castillo... Is going to pitch in New York to begin with, okay? People, people that that that, that play for other teams come to New York and and, and they don't uh, respond. Look at a guy that 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 uh, came here to pitch and he went to Cincinnati. He pitched he pitched well in Cincinnati, but couldn't get get past the five the uh, fifth, fifth inning in New yeah, York. Yeah, you're talking Sonny Gray. I never wanted him here. I'm on the record saying it. It doesn't always work the way you want it to work. Yeah, but when I, it does, I mean, but when it does. But let me ask you a question. Torres is a young player capable of 25 to 30 homers 
85 to 90 RBIs. I, w- I, w- I would be hesitant to part with the Taurus. Oh, I'm hesitant, Joe. But who, who, who would you include in a package? Because the Yankees need starting pitcher more than they need. Uh, no, I agree with that. I agree with okay, that. so how, where are you going to get it from? You have no cap space, virtually no cap space. Well, yeah. they, 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 they picked up a nice pitcher just, just now with the LeMayo uh, thing. Kluber. Yeah, he, I mean, he, he, I, I think I think Kluber's going to have a good year. I agree with you, yes. All right, now, I, I like to talk about LeMayo, okay? Mm-hmm. Is LeMayo has to be one of the top three hitters in Major League Baseball right now. Agreed? Consistently, year in and year out, not just right now, yes. They got him for six years. Mm-hmm. The Yankees have not won in 10 years. Mm-hmm. Have not won in 10 years. The Yankees this year have to not only go into the playoffs, but they have to win. And I got news for you. You don't know what you're going to get from Sanchez. Sanchez is coming off after hitting 143. And you don't know how he's going to produce. Sanchez had the lowest batting average of all eligible players last season. Yeah, you have no idea. And you, and you know what, um, Joe, and, and thanks for the call there, Joe, and you hung on for a long time. When you get, as Yankees fans have seen, when you get to the postseason, it's pitching, timely hitting, and, and, and not the home run ball. It's not the long ball that's going to get you there. It's pitching, number one. And when you look at the Tampa Bay Rays, they had three formidable Starting pitchers. The Yankees have a lot of question marks at, at their in their rotation. The only one that's not a question mark is Garrett Cole. That's the only non-question mark in my mind. And that's an enormous amount of pressure to put on a guy. Can you imagine if he cracks? Can you imagine if he cracks? Who's he got behind him? If Garrett Cole loses, let's say, game one of, of a short series, who's he got behind him? You got a real, right now, you have a real big question mark on Kluber. I think he's going to be fine. You got a real big question mark on Severino. Who knows? You're going to lean on Jordan Montgomery again? Domingo Herman is he even going to be playing? I mean, there's so many questions. Do you go and you, you, you sign a Odorizzi? Do you? As far as Sanchez, I looked into, listen, I know people don't put a lot of faith, let's just say, in winter league stats, but I kind of do. I kind of do. And I looked at what Sanchez is doing or what he had done in the Dominican League. Batting average is 245, which is well above where he was to finish out the 60-game season. On-base percentage is up. K-rate, K K-percentage, K strikeout percentage is down. So he's having an okay season there. Remember, though, that the competition is not MLB competition. Will he rebound? Does it matter? He's their only option at catcher. <laughs> I mean, I know there's Higashioka, and then there's nothing behind him. So even if they were to move Gary Sanchez, um, who are the reinforcements? I looked at their prospect list. Their 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 prospect, their their catching prospect, Austin Wells. Apparently, he's a stud. He's in single A ball. <laughs> you can't promote him from single A to to the MLB level backup catcher. You just can't do it. The Yankees going to have to roll with Sanchez. Yankees fans are going to have to get behind him, and I know that that sucks to hear. It, it's horrible, right? You got to root for a guy who, who had the worst batting average uh, and one of the worst K rates in the whole league, but you can't, you just, you cannot, you can't move him. There's nowhere for him to go.
And then if you do move him, there's nowhere, nobody behind him to come up and take the spot. And if you move Kyle Gashioka into that spot, there's literally nobody behind him. So what do you do? You root for Gary Sanchez to to rebound. That's what you do. Bruce in Flushing, you're on the fan. Yeah, hi, Daniel. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Okay, a couple of things. Number one, I have a little reservations about the Kluber signing for a simple reason. I understand that his trainer is the Yankees trainer, and I assume the Yankees feel like they know something that most teams Correct. don't. Hmm? But when he had his pitching outing a couple of weeks ago, he threw basically 89 to 91. You're talking about that, the? Are you talking about the showcase that was just like this week, yeah, Wednesday? Yeah, that's not that impressive. It's okay, and hopefully, as you build up your arm strength, the, the fastball will go up. But that's nothing to knock my socks off. Bruce, I didn't. I didn't see a number anywhere. Do you know? Do you remember where you saw that? Uh, in, in the newspapers. Oh, in the newspapers. Okay, because I, I didn't see it anywhere online. Okay, yeah. all right. So eighty-nine to ninety-one. I, you know, I, okay, but he hasn't pitched in two years. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, normally I would say he's worth a fly, $10 million, what's the big deal? But with the Yankees not spending anything unless they have to these days, to grow $10 million on Kluber, I think is really a risky proposition. You know, when I ran my numbers there, Bruce, and, and, and your your concerns are valid. I mean, your concerns are absolutely valid, and there's no way to know what Kluber's going to be until he, we can get we could see it with our own eyes. But when I did run my numbers, I did thought I did think that his market value was significantly less than the eleven million. I actually pegged him at around like eight, like eight million annually, um, and that's kind of like a lot. It's it's not significant, you know, three million, but it is significant for a team who has oh just about five million dollars in in cap space after the signing. That that is kind of sort of significant to the Yankees. The Yankees are in the worst luxury cap space in the entire league. Okay, and it's like. The, the wiggle room is about $5 million. That's it. Remaining. That's it. So the Yankees are, like I said, probably going to have to get help via trade if they're going to make any moves at all. And I really don't think that they're done. I mean, can that really be it? That offseason of DJ LeMahieu and Corey Kluber? People are going to be happy with that? But those concerns are valid. Of course they are. The guy pitched one inning, one single inning in 2020. He's made eight starts over the past two seasons. He's been injured. So, yeah, there's a there's a lot of questions. But I just think that the Yankees wouldn't make a move. And, and, of course, having that showcase with the 28 teams or so that came out, I mean, that's that obviously upped his value. Because you wouldn't have a showcase if you didn't think you, you had it, right? And you wouldn't sign a one-year deal unless you had something to prove. So those are the positive signs. You could think of it that way, too. Dave in West Babylon, you're on the fan. Yeah, hey, Danielle, how you doing? I'm uh, good, how are you? First off, congratulations to you and congratulations to all Jets fans for getting uh, Soleil. And uh, maybe he'll uh, hire you as a as a scout. I always uh, like your uh, like your take on the, uh, on the draft picks. Uh, I oh, wanted thanks. to talk about, I wanted to talk about, um, real quick, just this this fascination, almost this obsession with getting the big player. Um, uh, and I'm mostly going to focus on baseball, but I do have to say that ever since the decision, you know, that the 
uh, decision to go to the Heat. Well, you oh, know, uh, LeBron. LeBron <laughs> I can't, I can't, yeah, LeBron. Mm-hmm. I can't, I can't watch, I can't watch basketball anymore because everybody's just having, just obsessed with signing the big guy. Well, it's just they're, they're, the they're teaming up and they're obviously negotiating yeah. outside of, uh, you know, protocol and, and they're teaming up to, to chase the championship. Right. And I don't like that. And that's, I feel, no. I'm, I, I was talking to Pat before. I, I, I fear that with Deshaun Watson, I, I'm, I fear that he he is going to try to turn the NFL into that, and and I'm not I'm not with it. Oh, I hope not. I really hope not. I mean, I have to say that I'm in terms of uh, the football in New York right now. Mm-hmm. I'm very happy with it because you and I talk about it all the time. We're we're looking at the development of players, especially with Judge, and I can say it with Soleil. Mm-hmm. Now, in terms of in terms of baseball, my wife and I moved here in 1998, and this is what drives me crazy about. Mets fans. So over 20 years, Mets fans have been complaining and convetching that all the Yankees did was buy their players. And now, now that they have Cohen, they're like, oh my God, we get to get everything. They're like Charlie Bucket in the, in the, you know, in the chocolate factory. (laughs) (laughs) And, and the thing is, well, no, they would be more like the Veruca Salt, though. Charlie Bucket, he was afraid. Yeah. Or um, Augustus Gloop. Augustus Gloop, Um, yes, yes. But the thing is, the hilarious part about it is that he is the most prudent. Almost, I mean, he he hasn't made a misstep yet. Let's see, let's see what he, what he does. But that that trade that he that he did was really really fantastic. Um, what what I'm going to ask you in terms of the Mets? Uh, by the way, if you're going to tell me that they're going to trade Jeff McNeil for so-and-so-and-so, I might be like that other guy because Jeff McNeil was my favorite player. I love the yeah. gutty second baseman yeah. kind of guy. Mm-hmm. You know, I love that kind of guy. The guy's a baller. But, he's, he's a player. Oh, he is. I mean, I, I, one of my favorite non-Met is uh, Ben Zobrist. I love that kind of guy. I really yeah. do. Yeah. Uh, he really is. But I could see if somebody had to craft a deal, I, I could see me eh, – but in terms of who we need still, I can see a pitcher, and I can, obviously we need a center fielder. I don't have a problem with uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I, I, would have, I would actually like Jackie Bradley Jr. because you probably don't have to pay as much of course. Uh, for him as for Springer. And then you can spend some more on a, on a pitcher. Or do you have another idea? For an outfielder, other than uh, Bradley or or Springer, and is there any kind of like out of the box move that you could um, suggest in terms of uh, improving hmm. the Mets? Hmm. I, you know what? We've seen it. I can't complain um, about other teams without noticing they've made they've made some botched plays. You know, the Cano signing was horrendous, yeah. and we're going to have to deal with that. So yeah, um, thanks for thanks for the time, Daniel. Yeah, of course, Daniel. Talk to you soon. Appreciate it. Yep. Uh, yep. Um, so, you know, I know I know this sounds crazy, but I'm kind of in on on Jackie Bradley Jr. I kind of am. Obviously, his market value is going to be lower. Obviously, he's a more defensive. Uh, you know, he's a defensive guy. But I think that the Mets lineup is potent enough that they can absorb that. You know what I'm saying? So if it's not Springer, I wouldn't be so bummed, you know, because then, see, I think 
and I've seen the tweets that the Mets and, and Brad Hand have been talking. I think I think Brad Hand would be an important piece to the Mets. And I know that's not totally outside the box, but it was when I first brought this guy's name up like months ago. Um, I compared him to, to Liam Hendricks, right? And I did my statistical analysis. And, and I'm, you know, I think Steve Cohen was smart in avoiding Hendricks. And I had him, you know, they got, the White Sox got him for a little bit of a deal. $13 million, I think, is a deal. I just think that Brad Hand is an equal pitcher. He's younger. That's for one thing. And I think he's just as good as Liam Hendricks. And I think he's going to be a lot less, like a lot less. So I think, I don't know. You know, I don't know. I think if you're a Mets fan, I think you'd be happy either with Bradley Jr. or Springer. I think we've done all the permutations. I don't know if there's any anybody else we can kind of look at. Um, what I don't want to see, though, is Dom Smith in left field. I don't want to see it at all. It's a disaster. I, yeah, I, I'm trying to think of, like, another outside-the-box thing. That, but that's kind of all I got, actually. I, I think the priorities are, are pretty cut and dry um, for the Mets. And, of course, it's Divisional Football Sunday. We've got two great games coming up. None of our teams are playing in it here in New York, uh, New Jersey area, metro area. I know the Bills are in it. I know. Don't call me up. Don't call Pat up and say the Bills are a New York team. We know. Okay. <laughs> but um, none of our teams here in the New York metro area are playing. But we have two great games. We have the Grandfather Bowl, and we have the uh, the Whippersnapper Bowl. <laughs> Of, of Mayfield versus Mahomes and, of course, Brady Breeze. I'll give my predictions, and Pat will give his coming up. And also, too, don't forget, we have Misha Tate coming up at 420. That's exciting. All right, everybody, stay tuned in, stay locked in. I'm Danielle McCartan on The Fan. On The Fan, Sports Radio 1019 FM and Sports Radio 66, WFAN and WFAN-FM, New York. Running the red lights. That's something that did not happen on the West Side Highway on the way in tonight. Uh, but it was a little r- race city over there. That's Tiesto, right, Pat? Yeah, Tiesto. Love him. Um, it's it's sun, It's it's football Sunday. I, I want to give you my picks really quickly here, and, and we can go back over them, and I want to get to your phone calls as well because um, I, I don't like keeping you guys on hold through, through the guest. And we uh, the guest is Misha Tate at 420. In the morning, uh, we got the Browns and Chiefs. I'm just gonna give. I'll give you the explanations a little bit later because um, I do have a, a call about the the Saints and Bucks. So I'm sure I'll get into that. So, uh, 305 game, Browns, Kansas City Chiefs. I'm taking the Chiefs. This is really quickly. I actually think that game goes to overtime. Don't ask me why. Just have a gut feeling. And then I'm going with the Buccaneers over the New Orleans Saints. So let's go to Avi in Howell. Avi, you're on the fan. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. All right. So you just sort of answered my question, but I had a follow-up also. I have a parlay, which I hit on three of them, and they're offering me a cash-out. Okay. Um, what, what is I it? I hit two hockey games that worked that hit. Uh, the Wild, which they came back last week to win on, and then I had Buffalo um, minus three. Okay. My last game that I have is the Saints minus three against the Bucks. If I cash out now, I obviously don't win as much, but mm-hmm. I – you, you saying you think that the uh, Saints are going to lose, so you would cash out, apparently. Uh, is it, see, I never cash out. Like I, In my own bets, I never cash out. I always let it ride. Right. Um, because if they're offering you a cash out, obviously they want out of it. They don't want to take that risk. Correct. Um, Otherwise, they wouldn't. 
Yeah. You mentioned also. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm just going to say, this is this this game, I looked at it, I looked at it, I looked at it. It's, it's more of like those head and heart decisions, you know? I, I, I mean, I want I want to will Drew Brees to win. I mean, he was totally screwed, but the other part of my head says, okay, Tom Brady is a surgeon under center. So that's why. I, you can never bet against Tom for? Brady. Who am I rooting for? You know, for strictly betting purposes, I'm rooting for Tom Brady because in March I bet the Saints. I mean the uh, the Bucks to win the Super Bowl, like a wow. lot, a lot. So that's got to be a decent pair. But um, it is. So that's why. Go you, Bucks. <laughs> yeah. So you said that you were eight and zero in the playoffs. Ah, uh, sorry, seven and one. Seven and one. I, I don't know if your listeners or you will believe me, but I have it written down, and I joined the NFL playoff bracket. So mm-hmm. far, I'm eight and zero. I don't know what you did. You take the underdogs you took last week were just the Rams to beat the Seahawks. Yes, yeah, and I lost on the Steelers game. Yeah, by the way, I knew the Steelers. I had more confidence in the Browns over the Steelers than I did in the Rams over the Seahawks, just oh, yeah? because Mike Tom. Mike Tom, tell me if you if you think this is uh, valid, because Mike Tomlin it always builds it in the playoffs. Just a bad head coach under pressure and doesn't know how to game plan. That's why I had confidence. And now it wasn't completely on him. Obviously, Roethlisberger mm-hmm. played that garbage, right? But I don't think he had the team ready to go. And what do you think is the most likely Super Bowl matchup? Um, most likely, like most likely to happen, I would ha- I'd probably say Chiefs-Packers is what my gut says. Uh, I was hoping you were going to say Buffalo Saints. I, you so. know, I, Buffalo, it's up there. They have, to, they have to run through probably Kansas City. I, I'm not giving the Browns a, a, a good chance here, but... I know, I know. Wait, why I, do you think that's going to overtime? I, I just, I don't, I don't know. I just think if that goes the, to Browns, overtime, the Browns... What? It's anyone's game if it goes to overtime. I didn't hear the first part of that. It's anyone's game if it goes to overtime. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually see the Chiefs winning that game on, on a field goal on the home field. Um, that's I, I, It's a 10-point game last I checked. It, and, and thanks for the call there, Avi. Um, it's a 10-point game there last I checked. I don't know. The, 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 they're playoff crashers. I thought of like wedding crashers. I think the Browns are like playoff crashers, and you have them against the finesse Chiefs. So I think the Browns—they just look good, energized. That that ten points I think is kind of ridiculous. They're playing with a chip on their shoulders. But and also too, somewhat surprising to me was that Kansas City allows twenty-seven points per game over the last three. I thought that was kind of like a lot, and so. Yeah, that's kind of why I kind of settled on that. But I always give the edge to the home team. I always give the edge to the you know the returning champions or defending champions at least. Um, but we'll see. And, and obviously, Odell Beckham Jr. has given the Chiefs uh, some poster material with with a tweet that Patrick Mahomes went and liked. Uh, yeah, so my my games I'm picking are are the Chiefs and and I'm picking the Bucks. And let's go to the. The resident Browns fan there. Pat, what do you got for tomorrow? Uh, Browns are going to cover, and they're going to pull the stunner of the playoffs. They're going to beat Kansas City. Well, you were down on them last week, and all of a sudden they scored the touchdown, and you were like, oh, I'm on them again. Yeah, well, yeah, because, again, you know, I was bullish about them. I thought they would keep it close. I thought it would come down to the final drive, which, you know, we talked about right here on the show last week. Um, And they exceeded – all my expectations. <laughs> Twenty-eight, eight, nothing in the blink of an eye. I mean, Marquise Pouncey just airmails it on the first play, and from there on out, it was total domination. And that was again without their head coach Kevin Stefanski on the sideline. Correct. Their OC calling the plays, Van Pelt. 
They had still members of the secondary banged up. Miles Garrett wasn't 100%. They were missing their left guard, pro bowler Joel Batonio. He's back. Everybody's back now. Yeah. Batonio's back. The entire offensive line is healthy. Jack uh, Conklin is questionable, should play. All the secondary's healthy. All the wide receivers are healthy, which, again, they were all out against the Jets. Which is great, but then how do they stack up against the Chiefs? The Chiefs. You yeah, know? I, look, everyone, you know, it's like, oh, the Chiefs, just because, you know, we've seen what Mahomes they can do the last two years. Danielle, I think you'll be the first to agree with me. Kansas City has been very underwhelming this year in a lot of their wins. They've covered one out of their last eight. Uh, you know, that's including the Week 17 where they didn't play anybody against the, the Chargers. But even then, they've covered one out of their last eight games. And they, it, you know, they say you know, that cliched, like, oh, like they play down, they let teams hang around. Yeah. I mean, we saw it last year in the playoffs. Obviously, they're not playing down to level in playoffs, but they were down double digits every single game. And they were that good enough to overcome it. They get down again against, uh, against the Browns or even next week if they do win and make it to the AFC title game. I don't see them having that same dramatic comeback formula. You know, they, they've been a little bit weaker on the offensive line this year. The run game hasn't been that strong, and their their secondary, the defense, is very susceptible. It's how Vegas beat them. It's how even you know with sitting a lot of guys last week. It's how Herbert was able to throw all over them. I think if the Browns can get the run game going and time and the time of possession on the ball, they're going to do it. Your and official, I think they will do it. Your official pick is the Browns. Yes, they're going to win. Okay. Well, I then, mean, easily. I, I think they easily cover. I think it's a lot of points. Yeah, I think that's ridiculous. It's a lot of yeah. points. A lot of disrespect. Yeah. Bucks. Saints. That I would say Brady and the Bucks. Yeah. Just because, you know, whatever, throw out the, it's hard to beat a team three times in a year. It's hard to beat Tom Brady three times in the year, yeah. especially when the third time's in the playoffs. And I just think the offense has been clicking really well lately. I think it's taken them a full season to get acclimated. A brand new system. It's learning like learning a new language. Yep. And, yeah. I, and I think the defense stopping the run has come on even stronger than it was in the beginning. They've got the best run defense. I think that'll help them limit Kamara, um, and you know, and, and if Sean Payton still is obsessed with Taysom Hill and tries to run him out there for a couple of plays during this game, I don't think it's going to do much. It's going to rely on Breeze having to throw the ball to Thomas and and the rest of that receiving core, yeah. and also use the tight ends, which you know Tampa Bay secondary has been suspect, but again, I think this is more so Brady and the Bucks offense has been one of the hottest in the league. I think they get it done. I think they pull it out. But again, I think they would cover as well. I think it's either three or two and a half. Uh, three can, last time I checked. If you can get it at three, I would yeah. take the three. I think at worst they lose this by a field goal. But yeah, Danielle, I think Brady beats uh, Brady beats Breeze in the Big Easy. All right. So we agree on the Bucks, but we disagree on, on the Browns Chiefs. All right. Okay. We'll take it. We'll take it. All right. Let's go in the order that you guys called Theo in Chicago. Theo! Hey, Danielle. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Doing fantastic. Great to finally get in and talk to you guys. All right. Hey, I, I called it dinner to talk about the uh, the elephant in the room, Mr. James Harden. How did you uh, feel about his debut tonight? Um, Could not have gone any better, <laughs> to put it succinctly. Absolutely. I, I, that's that's kind of how I envision it, Daniel. I think people, a lot of the media kind of think that, you know, if Kyrie does come back, they kind of think how we, he handled being the like, you know, the third person, the third I don't think wheel? that's going to be yeah. the case. That's going to be the problem. I don't think Harden's going to be the problem. I think Kyrie Irving, I mean, he already yeah. is the problem, but once he comes back, he's going to be very unhappy with his role on that team, for sure. Yes. You know, Daniel, I, I kind of, I think it, if it, you know, if ever in an ideal situation, if they, if they straighten things out with Ian Nash, I think it may work out only because 
well, if you think about you, if you listen, think about it, James Harden has played third fiddle before, right, in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. So I think he he will be the one that's willing to sacrifice because he's out of the three egos here, it's probably the least because he's already accomplished, you know, his individual accolades. He's got his MVPs. Mm. He's got his scoring titles. Look at it, right? And and in order to accomplish uh, winning the championship, he's going to have to take not one but two steps back. I I mean, yes, right? Yes. Yeah, and kind of kind of how he played tonight. I mean, he was able to come out and you know set Joe Harris up and be able to get you know Kevin Durant going, and then he was. I, mean, I think what he had 14 assists yes. and also 12 rebounds. He played defense. Yeah. That was a shot. He was boxing people out. I was like, who is that guy out there? Yeah. And then can I, can I ask you, what, what, what's going on with the bodysuit there? Obviously, you look like uh, Eddie Murphy from the Nutty <laughs> Professor. I mean, what was that about? <laughs> well, he dropped some weight. That, that's what you're saying, right? That he dropped the weight? Uh, uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> I might. You know what I might do on, on the break uh, and the update? I might tweet out. A picture of like the before and how how it started, how it's going in the 2020 yeah. season of him. He did lose weight. He does not look like what he looked like when he showed up. That I could tell you. I, you know, I I saw some things there. I don't know if it's accurate. The source is true, but some people in Houston felt like he was adding layers to his warmups. No, that's why that was the appearance. So that, I don't think there's any way you can lose that much weight in 72 hours, right? Oh well, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe there is. I don't know if there is. Somebody let me know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm trying it the hard way. Um, hey, no pun intended there. Hard in, hard way. Get it? Um, yeah, <laughs> Theo. Um, I don't know. You know what? I am going to find those pictures. I'm going to do a little side-by-side for everybody. And thanks for the call. I know we talked on Twitter. Uh, Thank you so much. Appreciate it. <laughs> All right. Uh, Theo and I, Theo tweeted me, or we were talking on DM. I don't even know. Um, but he said he was going to call, and, and I'm glad he did. But James Harden looked, if you're a Nets fan, James Harden looked uh, as good, if not Better than advertised tonight. That's for sure. Um, I, I just, I just don't know. We know that he and, and Kevin Durant can play together. We know that they've done it. James Harden nailed the press conference. When you look at how the Nets play, and I and I even updated the numbers to reflect Saturday night's game. How the Nets play with Kyrie Irving and how the Nets play without him. Ready for this? With him. They have a winning percentage of 4-4-4. Easy to remember. With Kyrie Irving, the Nets have a winning percentage of 4-4-4. Without Kyrie Irving, they have a winning percentage of 5-1-7. That's my birthday. So the Nets are a markedly better team without Kyrie Irving on the floor. Can you trade him? Maybe this is his way of forcing himself out of Brooklyn. Maybe he doesn't like the situation. Maybe you trade him. As crazy as that sounds. An Nets fan growing up, all that. You know, Harden showed up out of shape. When that didn't chip him out, he had to try more drastic measures. He saw it with Antonio Brown. With the Raiders, with the helmet and all that. That was a drastic measure because what he was doing prior to that didn't work. Maybe this is Kyrie's way to force himself out of Brooklyn because maybe he's unhappy with his role. Steve Nash said uh, to Michael Grady before the start of the game tonight, he said uh, about Kyrie Irving missing his sixth straight start. Michael Grady, by the way, was on our show not long ago, if you guys remember. 
Nash said, hopefully it's a short period of time, but that is to be determined. Hopefully it's a short period of time. The last game he played was on January 5th. That's like 12 days ago. That's almost like two weeks. What? He's missed six games. Six. Hopefully it's a short period of time, but that is to be determined. That's Steve Nash saying that. You're the coach of the team. Or maybe I should say you're you're one of well, probably now four coaches on the team there, Steve Nash, between uh, your big three players, Irving, Durant, and Harden, and you. He didn't even have the respect to tell you that he wasn't going to be showing up. Okay? The guy went absolutely AWOL. And someone asked uh, James Harden, I, I don't know who it was, someone asked James Harden during the introductory press conference if, in fact, him, Kyrie, and Durant had the, that all-important coexisting players conversation. His answer was very short, very succinct. He said, quote, this is James Harden, he said, we haven't. Then there was an awkward pause, just like I left you, and then they went to the next question. That's Danielle McCartney Sports Radio 1019 FM The Fan WFAN Welcome back everybody at the top of the 4 o'clock hour here in New York City Good morning, good night <laughs> I don't ever know what to say at this time This is like the weird time here uh, We've had a, a very, very lively discussion about both our New York Yankees and our New York Mets here tonight on my program. It is NFL divisional round uh, playoffs. We've already seen the Packers defeat the Rams. We've already seen the Bills defeat the Ravens. And those are my two picks for today. I had a little parlay going on them. Doubled my money, a little bit over doubled my money. Bet my $10. I was so sure on today's picks, you guys know my scale, that I bet $10 on the Packers and Bills to pull it out, and they did. And here's another thing, too. We were talking about Kyrie Irving and his winning, you know, what the Nets do in terms of winning percentage when he's on the field versus on the court versus off of it. During DJ LeMayu's tenure with the Yankees, they have a 626 win percentage. Without him, they have a 519 win percentage. DJ LeMayu makes the Yankees a better team. Where Kyrie Irving does not make the Nets a better team. Let's go to your calls, 877-337-6666. we got Misha Tate coming up in 15 minutes. Eric Imran Konkama, you're on the fan. Morning, Danielle. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. A couple things, if I may. Yeah. First on Kyrie. Okay, now, uh, has there, been, there still hasn't been any indication when he's coming back, right? On Kyrie? Yeah, nothing yet. Okay. I mean, look, you know... I don't follow basketball that closely. I'm not sure how old of he is. Um, but just, just to give you an example, because, I mean, you know, I, I'm so annoyed with, with how he's handling this. I mean, when I when I was 21, I, lo- I lost my mother unexpectedly, you know, um, on, over a weekend. And I went to, now this is the early uh, 90s, you know, so there really wasn't any internet to, to do anything. I actually went to school that same day to inform all my professors, you know, of what happened just to keep them in the loop. Right. You know. And that's a very extending this, this, this circumstance. Is the thing, this is the thing that you do. Right. You know, you got to do the right thing. You can't just, I mean, look, there, 
stuff goes on in the world. I'm not going to say anything specific, but stuff goes on in the world that affects everybody at some point on some level on it. But, you know, you have to be a responsible individual of some maturity and, you know, honor your commitments on it. He has a commitment to this team. You know, there's a contract, uh, you know, that he signed. He's got to... He's got to honor it. It's, yep. it's just ridiculous what's going on. So yeah. I'll leave it. I'll leave it at that. Yeah, he's, he's um, twenty-eight. Quick by the question way. on the Mets. I'm sorry. He's twenty-eight. By the way. Twenty. Oh, okay. Yeah. So <laughs> he's old. <laughs> Older. You know, he's, you know. he's not a. He's, yeah, he's not a child by any standard. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, maybe maybe in maturity, but that. You know, yeah, but not in age. That, that, yeah. That, right. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Uh, on the Mets now, I know. Um, you know, you certainly, as you mentioned before been on the bread hand uh, bandwagon, so mm-hmm. to speak. Yep. Uh, I heard the other day, the last thing I heard was that they were talking to him, but mm-hmm. they kind of pulled back a little bit, the Mets. I didn't uh, has there been any update on that. any negotiations with him? I didn't see any of that. Pat's checking just to be sure that I maybe missed a tweet here or there, but um, he's checking. I think it was on Friday. I think they were saying that they were they were talking to him uh, fairly significantly, but then something I saw that. back. I don't know if it was money or uh, I, I know I heard it on some of the updates during the day with the with FAN. Okay, so I'm not sure. yeah, we'll get on it because I, I didn't okay. hear that part. But but, but but I certainly would. You know, if they're able to get him, for example, like, you know, like, like getting him and, and Jackie Bradley, you know, for a center field. I mean, as as it is, they've had a tremendous off season. But yeah. you know, if they get, you know. It, let's say they can get both of those uh, on, then they're certainly done for, with what they have to address, the, at least for this year anyway. A plus. And, uh, a plus offseason, if that happens. Oh, without, without a doubt. I mean, and and when, when you consider, you know, on top of that, a lot of people seem to forget that they also added the GM yeah. uh, in the mix. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't come up in conversation very well. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, all, all around, it's just been very, very productive, e- even if things don't get added from this point. So uh, I- I'm happy so far. You know, Now it's just a matter of how many games they do end up playing for the season. and uh, Whether or not they're going to have the DH. Uh, yes, thank you. I was just going to right, throw yeah. that in, which I, I still can't believe. We're, we're in the middle of January. I mean, pitches uh, and catches are supposed to report in about a month based on what Rob Manfred said. Mm-hmm. So I mean I, I don't know what they're waiting for, but I know but the teams yeah, were instructed. I know, but the teams were instructed not to plan for one, but it, it it was recommended. It was like a recommendation, not like a mandate sort of thing, which is like gray area to me, which is not good. Yeah, I mean if if you could tell if you could tell them to prepare for a certain number of games, I think you can come out and. And say one way or the other whether there's going to be a DH. So, yeah, and if you're going to, uh, Eric, and thanks yeah. for the call there, Eric. And and also too, if you're going to be able to to mandate, you know, the seven inning, you know, that rule uh, for the the um, the the double headers, the runner starting on second base. If you could figure out all that, why can't you figure out there if, if there's going to be a DH or not? Pat, did you find something? I did. Um, no, they def they have not redacted their offer from what I heard. But the Astros and the Blue Jays, I think, are. Um, in the mix. They're in the mix. I saw that. Uh, I, and I'm, Tony DeComo said they've yet to approach a deal. So I don't know how much has even been discussed in terms of contract length and, uh, you know, the amount it's going to be for. But There's they're just, definitely still in talks. Yeah, interested. I would, I would say hand signs 
I would say by Wednesday, the latest. So this time next if week. If not Monday or Tuesday. This time next week, we're going to be talking about those, a brand hand signing for the Mets. Yeah. And we're going to be talking about a, a Jets winning press conference, I am sure. Let's go to Mike in West Palm Beach. You are next up on the fan. Buongiorno, Danielle. Buongiorno. Buongiorno. You know, I got to give a, every time I call, I got to give a shout out to Pat, you know. Um, and he came up with some good points. I didn't realize he was a Browns fan, but he came up with some good points. Mm-hmm. You know, I uh, I mentioned to Pat before I, I got on deck. I got up early, took a shower. I, I turned the show on. Right, let's see what Danielle has to say in the callers. That's when the, <laughs> that's when that caller called. You know, oh no, I don't. Uh, I don't count last year. What do you mean? Listen <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, but if the Yankees won it, the World Series, he said he would count it. So you can't <laughs> have your cake and eat it too. I mean, that's kind of ridiculous. Right. And when you posed that question to him, he was like, "Hamana, hamana, hamana." Yeah, I know. You know? I know. Like Rob Framden on the honeymoon is just like, "Hey, let's <laughs> let's get real." You know. Um, but that's uh, another example of sometimes it turns into live theater. Uh, you know, you invented the Twilight Zone. But, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, good point again, Daniel. Long time, a Met fan, Clash of Games, and Jets. And, you know, speaking about the green and white for a little bit, um, it's great to have a good quarterback and wide receivers. But if you don't have uh, an offensive line to protect them, right. WTF on the text. I mean, you know, what? <laughs> What can you do? You have to draft from the inside out, like he was saying about right. the um, the Titans. Titans did. I mean, so many, so many. Uh, it's great to, that there's a new coach in place, but this is getting redundant. You know, been there, done that. Um, I've seen everything. You know, uh, when the Jets drafted Joe Willie out of Alabama, I was 11 years old. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's when I became a Jet fan. And I'm not a fair weather fan. You know, but uh, you do the right thing. Um, they they need so many uh, pieces in place. Anyway, uh, great for the Yankee fans. You know, just a matter of time. I'm glad they got Lemayu and, and he took a chance on um, on uh, uh, Kluber. Uh, hasn't pitched in two years, former Cy Young. But um, you know, and you said it right too. Uh, Cole is great, but you need you know you need a second and third starter. And I'll use the Yogi Berra uh, uh, lines. You know. When you go come to the fork in the road, you got to take it. Mm-hmm. Okay, nobody goes to that restaurant anymore. It's always too crowded. But baseball, as Yogi very very well said, <clears throat> excuse me, baseball is eighty percent pitching. The other half is mental. Mm-hmm. It's like you know, uh, love to see the Yankees uh, back in the mix, and it's been a while uh, since they even made an appearance in the World Series. Um, I'll leave you with this, Daniel. Um, you know. Every team, every organization, every sport, they have revolving chairs. The manager, the uh, coach in football, basketball, the general manager. I- I'm not sure if the Yankees, you know, uh, is Brian Cashman going to be the GM for the rest of his life? I mean, I, I just, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know. Um, but, all right, that's it for me, Danielle. I'm going to sip my coffee. And uh, like I always say every week, uh, you give everybody a fair shake. You really do. You give everybody a good chance to speak their mind. But it's sometimes, you know, you got to hit the button. And <laughs> you always have mojo behind a microphone, Danielle. <laughs> Mike, thanks for that. I- I'm about to hit the button on you there, Mike. Thank you. Talk to you next week. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right, Danielle. Bye. Um, and by the way, speaking of Yogi Berra and all those Yogi-isms, Yogi Berra, they are coming out with a stamp. I can't wait to go to the post office and buy a couple stamps. How nerdy is that? does that sound? Steve in Queens, you're on the fan. How are we doing? It's Steve. What's up, Steve? Yes, I apologize for that miscommunication right there. But, Danielle, how are we doing? 
I am just reconnecting off of our call last week, which was very good. But Steve, has your Uber rating gone up since last week or down? If we're going to be honest, it's gone down. Mm, that's no good. Yes, but at the end of the day, I am very proud the Yankees signed DJ. I know you were you were you were very upset last week. You got your guy. Yes, but also, why did we take Kluber? I won Tanaka. Well, you could still probably get Tanaka too, maybe. Kluber, it's it's an eleven million dollar deal. It's not it's not a blockbuster contract, and it's a one year deal. So if you can maybe take some money and defer it in a Tanaka deal, um, you know, ba- like backload the contract, you could probably make it work. I, and also, I don't need Luke Voigt speaking for us. Like, oh, we need DJ Luke Voigt. I love you. We can trade. Your value is high. We can ship you off any moment. Ooh, those are some fighting words from Steve there. Larry in Bayport, you're on the fan. How you doing, Danielle? What's up, Larry? And not much. Um, I just want to tell you the reason why I think Kansas City is going to win this game because Andy, I don't know if you know this, Andy Reid's record after a bye week is 18 and 3. Bingo. Book it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, of course, um, at this point in the season, the extra time is in for the players, too, is, is healing for sure. Oh, definitely. And just one more thing. Yeah. They had, I agree. You were talking about the draft earlier. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, For Brown. the Jets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Deontay Brown? Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's okay. Um, he, he, that, that's a definite pick. I agree with you on that one. And then there's a cornerback that Alabama has, Patrick Sutton. Okay. The third. He's good. He's really good. He's six two, two oh two. He was defensive player of the year this year and an all American. And he made the first team. Now what would you think about him and Richard Sherman together? I would like it. The only thing is Richard Sherman's too old. Mm, but he's a good leader. As as crazy as that sounds. Uh, the veteran he's presence. A definitely good leader. Okay. But, you know, you're getting him out of his uh, time, you know. Yeah, which maybe might mean that he might sign for less, Larry. Never know. To to be with his buddy, his coach, his defensive coordinator, you never know. Never you, say never. Yeah. Oh, the last thing. Yeah. The thing with hand yes. that I read. Mm-hmm. They're discussing years. Oh, so, oh, okay. So that would be the issue. That would be the That's holdup? The issue. Is okay. being held up is the is okay. Well, we'll have to wait and see how that plays out over the next couple of days, Larry. I know you're very happy. <laughs> I am. I will. I I was Friday was the best day. I thought about you first. Well, thanks. When I heard that, <laughs> I said, "That's it. Got to tell. I have to tell the <laughs> Yeah, I know. I know. All right, Larry. Thanks for your call. I appreciate it. I really appreciate talking to you. Okay, talk to you next week, Larry. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. And Ron in Roselle Park. You're on the fan. Yes, good morning. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Okay. So as a really old Red Sox fan, um, I'm very happy that Jackie Bradley Jr. has a would have a good, great opportunity to go to the Mets mm-hmm. because he'd be in a position 
at least on a team that he would own the position. Yes. You know, and that's like as an old timer, nothing better than walking into a stadium and knowing who's going to be in that position. Yes. <laughs> yep. Yep. And as a player that, myself, when I go to when I showed up to the field, I was a shortstop. And that was it. No one was taking that position from me. Right. And also. There's more landscape in uh, city fields, so he can turn singles into doubles and triples. Mm-hmm. He can play small ball much better. Yep. And uh, so those are, are my reasons that I'm really ecstatic that, uh, that you know, the opportunity is there. And the only other question I would like to ask you is, um, is, um, is, Matt, Har- is um, Matt Harvey out of baseball? Why you want him back on the Mets? That's just as bad as the Bartolo Colon calls we've been getting here. Nope, 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 and nope. Um, by the way, just a quick note, Jackie Bradley's um, calculated market value, more than half. He's worth like an $11 million contract annually. Springer's looking at like $25 million annually. They have the exact same fielding percentage in, in center field while George Springer's batting average is just a little higher. That's just a quick little analysis there. So if you're a Mets fan, Maybe you do Jackie Bradley Jr. instead of George Springer. Sounds crazy, right? Sounds crazy. You know who else is crazy? Misha Tate's joining us very shortly. Hang tight, you guys. I'm Danielle McCartan on The Fan. We're joined by MMA pioneer, UFC champion, current VP of one championship, and a no-doubt Hall of Famer in my humble opinion. But most importantly, a great friend of the show, Misha Takedown Tate. Thanks so much for joining us tonight. Oh, you're welcome. Oh, I love it. The takedown, actually, you know what? That's a throwback. I, I actually, I appreciate that. That's like, people who know that nickname are like, that's hardcore. Like, that was a minute ago. I was like, I've been cupcake for a while, but um, every fight, I always had a takedown. I don't think there's a single fight that I didn't get, like, at least one, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Before we get into UFC 257's main card ourselves tonight, I wanted to ask you about an undercard fight. Number nine, Amanda Ribas versus number eight, Marina Rodriguez. Ribas is the favorite, but I saw a quote that gave me some pause from her. And and she said, people have been talking a lot about McGregor and Poirier. I want them to remember my fight. In order to be different, I need to do something that nobody expects. Everyone expects me to go to the ground. I'll try to do something different. Misha, why try something different if what you're doing has been working? You know what? Sometimes when fighters are going through development and evolution, you'll see it happen where wrestlers fall in love with their hands and, you know, uh, and even sometimes, you know, strikers fall in love with the ground and they they want to prove something. So it sounds like she's going through a phase where, you know, everybody knows that she's good on the ground. Everybody knows she has the submissions, but she's got a chip on her shoulder. She's probably reading her Instagram comments. It can get to you a little bit. And I think all fighters are striving to be the very best, you know, the best in the world either a world champion and the best version of themselves. And I think her, she's in that situation where she wants to prove that she's good in every area. So she wants to do something memorable, something unexpected and kind of ride that wave that I think all the fighters kind of get when you're fighting on a McGregor card. Everybody kind of gets a little bit of extra love, a little bit of extra eyes. Hmm. You still like her though to win the fight? I think so. I'm pretty high on Amanda right now. I think she's pretty devastating. She fought my friend Emily and I mean, I was just blown away by how fierce she was in that fight and and not just fierce, but really skilled. She's um, 
I think she's more well-rounded than she's shown too. So, you know, it can be a little give and take when you hear a fighter say something like this. It's de- it definitely can be like, mm, are they ready to take that risk? You know what I mean? Are they ready to like kind of step out of the comfort zone, you know? But I think the best of the best are willing to take risks and, you know, willing to prove and show that they are a cut above the rest. So I guess we will see come that fight night. The one and only Misha Cupcake Tate here on WFAN New York City. Now, the headlining match, it's a rematch at 257. Obviously, McGregor and number two lightweight contender Poirier. What is it about Conor McGregor that makes even the most casual MMA fan tune in? I mean, he's a must-see, and I assume you two have met somewhere along the line. Yeah, um, sure. We've met in passing. We fought on a couple cards together. You know, I fought Holly Holm the night that he fought uh, Nate Diaz. You know, that was a very memorable night. What is it about him? It's a good question. I mean, I think that the man is incredibly charismatic. I think he is smart with the way that he markets himself, but none of it seems forced and none of it seems entirely unbelievable either. Like if any other fighter was to go out there and say, I'm going to knock out Dustin Poirier in 60 seconds or under, I'd be like, bull, you know, like, yeah, right. Whatever. Okay. We've heard it before, but honestly, when Connor says it, I'm like, Hmm, So what does he see? Like, what is it? Like, then I'm trying to figure out the why, because I already believe the narrative, if that makes any sense. Like, I do believe that Conor McGregor is a very special athlete, a once in a lifetime athlete. And I think that he's capable of things that most fighters would never dare to to say or dream or believe, you know, love him or hate him, right? He's genuine and he's unapologetically himself and usually is able to back up what he says. I never in a million years would have thought he would starch Jose Aldo in 13 seconds. So now he's saying 60 seconds. And you know, I'm not all in. I don't necessarily think that he's going to go out there and finish him in 60 seconds, but I believe it's a realistic possibility because he says it. And I think that's what it is. People are buying into the fact that he does a lot of times predict very closely, very accurately how he, how he's going to win fights and in what fashion and in the time and everything. So instead of me questioning what he's saying, I'm kind of trying to figure out why he's saying that. Yeah, I I mean, the last time they met, speaking of timing, less than two minutes to record a TKO. That was seven years ago, though. But now McGregor is the favorite. The odds are pointing to a fight, because I checked them just before. The odds are pointing to a fight that will not go the distance by way of knockout or TKO. Do you predict that's how it's going to go? You know, I I actually, I don't think that this fight is probably not going to go the distance. I think both guys are capable, very capable of finishing this fight. However, this is really difficult to say. Like if it goes the distance, I definitely think that it's in Dustin Poirier's favor. And I think if it ends in the first two rounds or even first half of the fight, I would put my money on Conor McGregor. And the latter half, the longer the fight goes, I think it favors Dustin. So if he can get out of that first minute, that first round, I think it it certainly, because we've seen Dustin Poirier go tit for tat with some of the best for, you know, three rounds or five rounds, whatever it takes to get the job done. Um, he's an incredibly well-conditioned athlete, but here, you know, Conor McGregor, the strategist, the surgeon, if you will, you know, he's incredibly accurate. He's very powerful and he doesn't seem to be affected by quote unquote ring rest. The layoffs that he has, these kind of longer layoffs, a lot of times he comes back better for it. So his performance against Cowboy 
I would have liked to see more just because you always have questions, you know, and was it kind of, you know, you don't want to say a fluke, but you know, did he get lucky? Was Cowboy off? Did he just kind of have it happen so quick? But when somebody's doing that consistently and time and time again, and you've seen them deliver in that fashion, then you're kind of like, okay, this is not something that's happening by accident. They're just really that good. I was originally picking Poirier to win this fight. And the reason being is I have less questions about Poirier. I feel like he has evolved from boy to man, so to speak, in this sport. He was much younger, you know, not even physically as developed. You can see he's filled out. He's much stronger. He's more comfortable in, in his division. And his defense is much better than it than it's ever been before. But Connor's the black horse in all of this. He always is. And he always kind of rides in and steals the show and does something that you that that blows your mind. And I think this is one of those don't blink fights because you know at any second Connor can just do something absolutely out of this world that blows your mind talking about Misha Tate UFC superstar here on the fan this past week McGregor was on a podcast talking about how Poirier was a good I'm using the word warm-up in terms of preparation for a boxing match versus Manny Pacquiao he also said that a fight could happen sometime this calendar year do you buy it oh my gosh um no, honestly, I, I don't see that happening this year. I think with everything, and a lot of that has to do with just the way the world is right now, that it's kind of crazy and everything's slow moving. And I think a lot of things would have to line up just perfectly. But I'll tell you what, if Conor McGregor goes out there and beats Dustin Poirier in emphatic fashion, let's say he gets it done in under 60 seconds, or just in, an, in a way that is like, whoa, he's back. He's the old Conor McGregor. The UFC is going to want him fighting for a title. No doubt about it. His next fight is going to be a title fight. How long that takes of a turnaround to make that happen, you know, I, I feel like Okay, you know, we're, we're talking about UFC gold here. I don't I don't see him necessarily having the time or wanting to look otherwise. I believe he'd want to be a champion first and foremost. So I'm going to say that this year he should be focused on that. Granted, he wins this fight. I could be wrong. Money talks. There's a lot of money in boxing, right? I don't know. But I would say 2022, I could definitely see him coming back for a boxing fight. Um, I'd like to see 2021 kind of make up for lost time with Conor McGregor and, you know, see if he can score another championship another thing that i saw mcgregor said was i don't know if there's no crowd i don't know what it is there's just no buzz for me being vp of one championship seeing the fights with no crowd what could you tell us about it as a fighter is there no really no energy well i think it's really a poor excuse if you have to have a crowd in order to perform well but do I think it changes the dynamic a little bit? Sure, it probably, look, fighters have hurdles that they have to get over. Um, you know, I mean, think about the ultimate fighters. There's no crowds there and stuff. And some fighters, it might have a little bit more of an effect on than others. I do feel like, from my personal experience, I definitely feel like I fed off the energy of the crowd. However, if I know I'm going into a fight with no crowd, you prepare for that mentally and you, you bring it regardless. Like you cannot say that because there was no crowd, you had a bad performance but it could be that it's not as like not as exhilarating maybe or not as fun but you're still in a fist fight somebody's trying to take your head off like that's not you you have to show up regardless of what the world throws at you even if it is the pandemic and no crowd over in singapore like i just moved from there and like working with one championship i mean 
that's been a huge challenge there as well. Like tons of regulations and rules and all the things, you know, same things that the UFC is having to go through and all these other promotions, but like the experience there too, with the athletes, they're showing up, they're fighting hard. Same things going on with the UFC. I think you just have to rise to the occasion. You really, as an athlete, have to understand that you have to be ready for change. Every second, every round, every preparation that you do, you have to understand it could change at any moment. And that's just the fighting business. Some of the feedback coming from your one championship fighters has been what? Fighting in the pandemic. A lot of them think that it's weird and they definitely notice it. I think all the fighters are noticing because you do feel, you feel the energy. I remember when I was fighting Holly, you know, and there was like point when they were all chanting Holly, like the felt like the whole arena was like Holly, Holly. And you hear it, you feel it, you understand it. And then it's gone. And the same thing. And they were like, Misha, Misha. And I was like, yeah, you know, and you feel it and, it and it's there and it's a part of that memory and it's a part of that fight. And it does suck that these fighters are not getting that part of this memory. But at the same time, like, I don't feel like it's taken away from the performances. You know, I feel like there's still somebody, like I said, standing across the aisle. There's still world championships to be won. There's still uh, money to be made, fights on the line, dreams on the line. And regardless, I, as I mentioned, you know, what is thrown in front of you? You've got to be willing to adapt, weird or not. Now, I guess my question to you, having done it, obviously, the training regimen from MMA to boxing, back to MMA possibly, is it really as simple as Conor McGregor is making this sound like it is? No, not at all. It's not. It's apples and oranges, as cliche as that sounds, boxing and MMA. And I think a lot of casual fans think that striking is striking. It's certainly not. There are things that you can do in boxing that you absolutely cannot get away with in MMA. And sometimes the most difficult part about transitioning between sports is not about learning new things. It's about unlearning the things that you do instinctually, the things that you have practiced so many times that you don't even think about it. It's called muscle memory. You just react. And especially once you start to become fatigued and when you get rocked, same thing, because you're not all theirs. You're not cognitively thinking. You're reacting purely on instinct. Same thing when you get tired. So the way boxers move a lot laterally side to side, they move their heads and their hands are down. You're going to get kicked in the dome in, in MMA, you know, and even the stance, like turning as much sideways, you got to worry about leg kicks. So there's there are adjustments that you have to make for either sport. And no matter how great you are or what you have in your favor, all the cards, if you're doing both sports, you're taking away from one or the other. There's just no way around it. Conor McGregor, he's retired three times from MMA fighting, June 7th being, 2020 being the most recent. In the Instagram post, and I thought of you, he said, the game just does not excite me. And he was quoted in an interview saying, I'm a bit bored of the game. And I actually thought of you because what you said during our podcast earlier in the summer, what do you think it is that keeps drawing him and, and others like him back in? You know what? There's money. Definitely money is something that because I, I believe just like with anything, the more money you make, the more money you're going to spend. You ever notice like you go and buy a bigger purse and you're like, oh, I'm going to have lots of room in this purse. No, and you just put more stuff in it. <laughs> Same concept, you know, just like stick with the small purse and figure it out. Right. Well, it's, it, I mean, so money, sure, of course, that's a factor. He's He wants to make more money. But I really believe that Conor McGregor has a huge ego. And that's not a bad thing. Because I think fighters need to have a little bit of an ego. Fighters need to kind of 
they just need a little bit more. They're just not happy being an everyday person. You know, they, they need more. And I think that's what it is. I think he has a fighting spirit and I think, yeah, he's a true, truly is a fighter at the end of the day. And do I think that he's maybe lost his way at times and gone off the bean a little bit? I mean, look, the guy rose to stardom literally overnight and became one of the biggest stars, probably the biggest star MMA has ever seen. And, you know, sports in general, he is just a global figurehead. So a lot of money, a lot of fame, a lot of pressure, a lot of things to just take on for such a young uh, a young athlete. And I see it could be easy to just kind of get lost for a minute. But at the end of the day, I think what keeps drawing Connor back to this sport is that he's a fighter. He is a fighter at the end of the day, and he loves to compete. He loves to prove people wrong or prove people right, depending if you what side of the coin that you're on. So I, I think that he's really a fighter. Misha, fighters need a little bit more. Fighters don't like to be everyday people. You're the mother of two beautiful babies. Is it time, though, for you yourself to make a return to the octagon? You know what? I am in the gym training and I feel phenomenal. I feel like, man, I just feel like a million bucks. I feel really good and I'm really happy right now. But I will say right now, what I'm focused on is uh, grappling. I want to do the submission underground. I want to get back into competition kind of shape. I'm just not a closed door person. So I never say never. I never close because I'm passionate. I can literally change my mind in a second at the drop of a hat, because that's the way passion has always worked for me. It's never been something that's like clear cut and dry that you always have it figured out. No, but when something speaks to me, I go for it. Right now, what's speaking to me is like, get back in competition shape and get a grappling match. And you know, Cyborg has called me out to to, to grapple. I think that has really motivated me to get back into shape. So I'm focused on my body, my grappling, getting myself and having fun. That is something I will say towards the end of my career, I was not doing. I was not having fun. I was trying, but I was in I was in quicksand and a lot of that had to do with my personal life and relationship at the time, you know? So I had to take a step away and just kind of get refreshed. And that's where I'm at now. You know, I don't feel like I'm missing anything. I'm not in a hurry. I'm just enjoying the ride. And I wanna, I do wanna get back in competition shape, get some grappling matches under my belt and you never know. I think a lot of people are paying attention. There's a lot of buzz. I mean, I looked on your Instagram, over 150,000 views on your Instagram workout videos. I mean, and those aren't just normal workouts in my humble opinion. I mean, oh no, they're not. Trust me. Like the other day, like I thought I was going to vomit. I was like, oh my God. I was like, I haven't pushed myself this hard in a minute. But what I loved about it is that I still have the ability to do that because that's not like, not everybody's willing to go in that place. Like in, in those workouts, like, and I'm just by myself at the gym, just motivating the hell out of myself. So I like, I definitely still have the competitive spirit. I haven't really visited the idea of fighting yet because I just don't have the, but like, it's not at the forefront of my mind. It's not the calling. I'm focused on what I'm, what is speaking to me. What's speaking to me is grappling. Um, you know, I don't have to get punched in the face. I don't have to, you know, break my nose again, whatever, but still like, it is my favorite favorite part always has been of doing a fighting. So yeah, that's where I'm at. So Tate Cyborg, I mean, how long do you think it could take you to get into to grappling shape at least? Not long. I think definitely by the summer. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Misha, wherever that fight is, whenever it is, if it even is, I will be there front row. Okay. Hopefully if the pandemic doesn't 
Yeah, I'll, I'll find a way. I'll wear a mask. Right? <laughs> um, well, thank you for joining us tonight here on McCartan After Midnight on The Fan. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. You heard her. You heard her. By the summertime, we might be seeing a Misha Tate-Chris Cyborg grappling match. And I will be there. <laughs> Wherever it is on this earth, I will be there. How great is she? She is such an awesome guest. All right, we're going to hit a quick break here, everybody. 877-337-6666. If you want to get aboard, we are here until 6 a.m. here on The Fan. The Jets have a new head coach, Robert Sala. And the only place to talk about him throughout the weekend is your flagship station for New York and NFL football. The Fan, Sports Radio 1019, WFAN-FM, and always streaming on WFAN.com. Hello, good morning, everybody. I'm Danielle McCartan. Wake it up. If you are not up already, you are now. Can you imagine getting in the car? Turning this on, hearing that, feeling the juices flow. It is Divisional Football Sunday, Divisional Playoff Sunday. We've got two games on, on the ledger, on the on the calendar, shall we say. Cleveland Browns at Kansas City Chiefs. During this break here, I just tweeted out. Seems to have more traction on Twitter than when I talk about here. I don't know. I feel like I'm back in my classroom. But the visual here, I put on Twitter. My Sunday Divisional Round picks. Uh, these are money line picks, by the way. I don't really like using the spread and stuff like that. Straight up. I'm I'm very black and white. That's it. No gray. Spreads are gray for me. But uh, straight up, money line picks. I got the Chiefs beating the Browns in a three-point game. I actually think that game might end up going into overtime. I've also got the Bucks defeating the Saints. Sorry. I know my heart wants to root for Drew Brees, but my head knows that Tom Brady can dissect and carve up a defense with just surgical precision. So there are the picks. Should, will I end this weekend at a 9-1 and one clip? I'm 7-1 now. It's possible. It could be. And my bank account would like it as well. Not that I bet a million dollars, everybody. You know that by now. You know that. All right, we've got a full bank here. Uh, 877-337-6666 is the number. Remember, we're here until 6 o'clock. Tony in Providence, you'll kick us off now. What's up? Hey, Happy New Year, I was talking a long time, my friend. You're doing an outstanding job, my friend. Thanks, Tony. Outstanding job. Thank you. Um, The picks, I agree with um, half of them. Um, Yes, Tampa Bay is going to win, without a doubt. Brady, I know. Reese is being a mean for the Saints, but the first game doesn't really count because don't think they didn't really have an offseason with COVID-19. It was a shortened season, right. Danielle. Yeah. So therefore, Brady's going to get it done because uh, he's no he he knows uh, his time is running out. And um, so yes, Reese might retire. There's talk about that. I still say Brady with Brown and that offense, they're going to find a way. And then, obviously, on the game, I agree, it's going to be a close game with Cleveland, and they might take it. Um, you can't run them out because they have the two running backs, and Kansas City has been so close every game. Like, yeah. against bad teams, if you look, they don't dominate like they did last year. Mm-hmm. They barely win. Yes, they win. But if you look, it's been very close, Danielle. Very close game. Yeah, I know. And, and Pat was saying that before, too. I, I just, to me, it's just like, I don't know, does. Patrick Mahomes just kind of shift into another gear in the playoffs. That's that's my only thing. You know, been there, done that. The, the Browns are fresh. They're new. I call them playoff crashers. You know, they weren't supposed to be there, but they got in, and now they're just 
playing with house money. That's a dangerous team to go against. Right. And like I said, they have two running backs. We talked about Chubb. Yeah. And like I said, two running backs can be one and they have to be successful. But it seems like Kansas City, yes, they turn it on and turn it off. They know how to do that. But eventually it's going to cost you. And I see everything very close. And I was a little surprised with the game. So obviously today, I, do, I mean, I really thought the, the Rams would do better. I mean, they were down by seven. I didn't think they were back in the game, but... Um, obviously, Green Bay was too much, but okay. um, a lot Aaron of Aaron Rodgers shut the door real fast on them. Right, it's going to be a good game either way. Um, yes, way it'll be it could be Rodgers Brady, and uh, you know that's going to be a great match to see. And it was Breeze, but I still agree with you that Tampa's going to find a way uh, to win. And obviously, um, um, it was tough for the Steelers, but we'll be back. Hopefully, Ben's going to be back. But um, it was shocking the way we played, but uh, Cleveland dominated us. Um, it really did. If you watch the game again, you see it. Tony, um, you really want Ben Roethlisberger back? Is that what you said that? Yeah. Um, I don't think Rudolph is guy. I don't think Rudolph can do it, you know, honestly. Yeah, I, that's fine. But maybe trade up in a draft and get a quarterback or maybe Deshaun Watson or something like that. But I think Be- Big Ben has showed you that it's father time has uh, has caught up to him. You think so? I think right. so. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting. Anyway, we have some coaches, and Tom is going to be watching him closely. The pressure's on him. I know some of the coaches have left. Um, the Steelers made some moves. So um, the pressure's going to be on Tom in uh, this coming season, coming up in the fall, um, to get it done. And Juju is a great player. I was just going to say, like he, yeah, he's on his way out of there too, most likely. Right. But the problem is we don't like his antics. Uh, the Steelers fans will tell you, Daniel, um, he's way overboard with some of his antics. Great player, but he has to tone down a little, um, you know. And uh, that's a, my friends say the same thing. He's going to tone it down, Juju. But it was tough to see because we, they won the 11 games in a row. They were hot, but and then they and then just went downhill. And yeah. for whatever reason, the receivers kept missing the ball, and it was just frustrating to see. I mean, you never seen a team dominate early on and go down spiral, and they did. I mean, you have to call it like it is, Daniel. And I'm happy with the Yankees' move. Hopefully they'll have a better year um, and get it done. But, uh, you know, I'm a Yankee fan, stealing Yankee fan, so on. And the Jets made a good move. I think that coach is good. Um, I saw him in San Francisco. He gets that team wild up. He might be good for the Jets. I hope yeah, so. I agree with you, Tony. Thanks for the call there. No, I- uh, sorry. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I think that Ben Roethlisberger is done. Um, he was talking about antics of Juju Smith-Schuster. Um, Juju Smith-Schuster, he could play on my team any day. He he would be a fit on the Jets. He would fit on the Giants. I mean, and Joe Judge, if if we learned anything about Joe Judge this season is the fact that he doesn't take any crap. I mean, especially from wide receivers. I mean, Golden Tate, the whole thing with him. I mean, Joe Judge can straighten a guy out. And I, I don't. I don't. Oh, it, oh, the dancing on the logos and stuff. Oh, yeah, that that would not fly under Joe Judge for sure. Uh, Robert Sala, we'll see. Uh, Dave in Comac, you're on the fan. Hey, how are you, Danielle? What's up, Dave? <laughs> the Islanders are an embarrassment. <laughs> I don't care that they won the other night for nothing. There's that goaltender, that Russian goaltender that everybody's speaking so highly of. And then Varlamov, you're talking about? He doesn't belong in the NHL. And not only that, but. I don't understand why if a puck hits the linesman and lands in a net, that it shouldn't count as a goal. You're saying it should or should not should count? Should not. Should not. That's right. Ah. It's almost as bad as a skate. You know, the puck hits a, 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 a hand, uh, like a hand pass, or a, 
hits a skate and lands in the net, I think they disallow it, right? Uh, well, I, you know, that's hard. It's almost like, you know, I get it because it changes the direction of it. And, you know, it's the, the goalie really doesn't have a chance to, to. But then how do you how do you regulate that, though? You have to review every play. It slows the game down. Say, look, if it hits a linesman and it lands in the net, then it's no goal. All right, if it hits a linesman, changes the trajectory, or nicks his jersey, or, well, you like, know. Like what you saw this evening. It hit the linesman, from what I heard on the radio, and it landed in the net. Yeah. I don't know. Sorokin, by the way, is is the goal, not Rolamov. Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I I, I kind of like it the way it is. It's just it's it makes it exciting. <laughs> not not when you're losing. I know. Up. Not when you're on the other end of it. I get it. I know. Right. I know that. But. but but this thing with this goaltender, this guy, there's no excuse for letting the fuck goals. I'm sorry. This guy's just not ready. They should have put Corey Schneider in. They should have held on to Grice. They've done absolutely nothing to improve the scoring and defense of this team. This Island team is a disaster. Huh. I don't know if I want to go. Uh, I know you don't agree with me on that, but you'll see what I'm talking about in the coming weeks. This team, I don't think this team's going to make the playoffs. Yeah, I know. It's just, and maybe it's the the primacy recency effect, too, because, I mean, they they made it real far in the playoffs, and now two games in. The only reason why they didn't get to the Stanley Cup Finals is because Farlama is standing two or three feet out in front of the net. It leaves a wide-open net, And, and nobody talks about that except for me. And the other goaltender for Tampa Bay, he's in the net. He never came out of the net. That's why Tampa Bay won and the Islanders lost. I wonder, why, is, there, is, there, is there a science to it? Is there like an analytics to it? I, I, I don't understand because I would not want to leave the net open either. You're a goaltender. You have to tend the goal. Back in the day, they would say, well, the goaltender comes out to cut down the angle. I'm sorry, I disagree with it. If he lets up three or four goals yeah. in a playoff, in, when you're in the... Uh, like one round before the Stanley Cup final, and he lets up three, uh, uh, several games where he lets up three or four goals, and he's standing out in front of the net. you got to be kidding me. I'm sorry. All you got to do is look at Tampa Bay's goaltender who always stays in the net, yeah. and that's why they won the game. Yeah. I mean, it's a fair point, uh, Dave, and, and, and I and appreciate your passion towards the team. Uh, you know, it's just, okay, we're two games in. We are two games in, right? Uh, they're – what? Right, they're one and one right now. They're two games in. They're one and one. It's it's too early. It's I I know they lost five nothing to the to the Rangers no less. Right, five five nothing. I get it. It was a bad. It was one nothing, two nothing in the first period, four nothing by the end of the second period. I get it. I know. But it's two games. Don't go off the deep end. It's only two games. We could talk next week. We'll see what happens throughout the course of this week, but we will see next week. But the format of it, I just love the format of it, of how they're they're having these like short series, like like baseball series. You saw it in the Devils game today. He came out, Wood came out, and he automatically just nineteen seconds into the game started a fight. Love it. Love to see it. Let's go to Peter in Brooklyn. You're on the fan. Hi, Daniel. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. I just want to say I'm an Italian from Brooklyn, so I appreciate all the hard work that you do put in. Oh, okay. buona sera, grazie. <laughs> Thank you. I, you know what I want to say? I, I've been listening to the fan for years, mm-hmm. and I've never heard anybody put on some UFC stuff, and I just want to say thank you. Well, Misha Tate is one of the greatest. Yeah. She's a great and, guest. Uh, great guest, isn't she? Yeah, that, that was a great interview. And... um. 
I just want to say, I think Connor's going to probably take him out. Yeah. If it's not in the first, it'll be in the second. Agreed. Definitely agreed. T- uh, knockout, right, in the second round? Do you think it goes to yeah. TKO? I don't think so. I, you know what? I, I, I think he'll knock him out. If he, he took out Cowboy the way he did, yeah. I know he's been a long layoff, but... I mean, even the fight when he fought Mayweather, he almost beat Mayweather. If he didn't have any, if he would have had more gas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he, he gassed out so Mayweather. early. I know. We were like, yes, yes, yes. And all of a sudden, he, he just gassed out. That was it. Done. Learning experience, I guess, for him, right? On how to train. He, uh, he, I think he went 29 minutes in that fight. But um, a, a UFC fight goes 25 minutes at max for championship. Yeah. So, I mean, it, you know what? I give him all the, the credit in the world. I know he's a little cocky, but yeah, but he, you know but what? he's confident though. He's cocky and confident. Yeah. That's it. That's that's okay then, as Misha Tate told yeah. you. Yep, and, and, and that was such a great interview. Oh, thanks. Oh man, you, you did a great job, Danielle, and I I love listening to you. I just wanted to say that. Thank you. Wow, thanks so much, Peter. I appreciate that. Or should I call you Pietro? Next time you call Pat, tell your your name is Pietro. Okay, Pietro from Brooklyn. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> All right, Peter. Thank you. Talk yeah. to you next week. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm Irish too. So I, my dad actually, my dad loves Conor McGregor. He doesn't really love UFC, my dad, but he loves Conor McGregor. Like him and my brother went to Ireland on this trip that I wasn't invited on. And I would have thought I was going to be invited on it, but they went without me and they, uh, they ended up going to see. Welcome back here in the final hour of McCartan After Midnight here on WFAN New York City. Whether you're tuning in at on 1019, 660 AM, or the radio.com app. I've had some check-ins from uh, Las Vegas. We haven't got any far phone calls. Oh, Miami, we've got, uh, we had our Florida check-ins, um, but nothing to the West. Usually we have a, a California call or two. Um, well, maybe not yet. If you want to get aboard, 877-337-6666 is the phone number. I hope you guys did not miss my interview with Misha Tate. That was at uh, 420. Don't go back on the app right now. I want you to listen to the rest of the show, and then you can go back and listen to it um, for sure. It, uh, she basically confirmed that she wanted to do a fight, a grappling match versus Chris Cyborg in the summer. It's set. It's booked. I'll be there. And we've had a huge week in New York sports. I mean, huge. Like, this is probably... The biggest week in New York sports since I've I've been here. I mean, the Yankees nabbed the number one free agent position player that is on the market in DJ LeMayhew. And all in a day's work, they went and got Corey Kluber as well. More on that in a second. The next biggest headline, or I don't even know. It's like, I don't even know how to rank these. The next would be the Jets hired a head coach, um, Robert Sala. They had him in the building on, I guess it was Wednesday, from like 8 a.m. to like 2. They've let him go to Philadelphia. Don't know why exactly. They actually did not. They, they had an interview scheduled with Arthur Smith for later Wednesday in person, and um, they just didn't do it. And then news broke Thursday that Robert Sala was the guy. Flew him into Teterboro. They gave him the private jet treatment and everything. And Robert Sala is going to be the next head coach in the New York Jets. That press conference, I'm, I'm assuming, will be upcoming this this week. And so um, 
I will have that reaction for you guys next on next week's show. And then this craziness going on in Brooklyn. My God. You got Kyrie Irving, who's gone absolutely AWOL. They haven't heard from him. They don't know where he is. Well, they do know where he is, I guess. But um, he's not playing. The first game that he missed, he didn't even tell his head coach that he was going to be missing it. I mean, when you take a day off at your job that you're contractually obligated to do, the least you can do is let your boss know that you're not going to be there so that they can make arrangements. I know in my day job, I'm the one that has to make the arrangements when I'm not there. And I have to deal with the uh, mm, the workload when I get back. So Kyrie Irving has absolutely no excuse. And to compound that, the video surfaced of him partying without a mask. And I'm not talking like party partying, but he's at a birthday party for his sister and his dad. I think it was a combined. I, I read that he threw the party. That I'm not confirming. But what I saw in that video with my own two eyes was his sister standing behind a cake, ready to blow it out. He's singing happy birthday. No mask on him. No mask on her. No mask on any of the, I would estimate, at least 50 people in the empty, I guess it was a club in West Orange. Um, It's not a good look. And in fact, he was fined $50,000 for it, for violating the, the protocol, the health and safety protocols. And he was also fined $870,000 for the two games, you know, combined for the two games that he missed while being out for that. He was, they said it on the broadcast, the S Network broadcast, he was eligible to play Saturday night. And we'll see, we would see the, the big three all together. He was a no-show, again. If there's real issues going on, that's one thing. But when I see you smiling with with nice nice big smile, nice teeth at a party for your sister, and you're just not showing up to work, why? And still collecting the paycheck? I got a lot of questions for you. That's uh, it's not a good look. Is it maybe? I mean, I, I don't, I don't. You know, I'm usually good at like figuring out the psychology of things. I cannot f- figure out the psychology of Kyrie Irving and. And what he's up to. I just can't do it. But in other news, the James Harden experiment, the former Houston Rocket, has lifted off from a more urban launch pad here, right here, nearby in Brooklyn. And what remains to be seen is whether or not Brooklyn will have a problem. You know, Houston had a huge problem. Will Brooklyn have that same problem? I'm talking long term with a big three of players that all need to dominate handling the ball. The last I checked, there is only one ball in play at a time uh, in the NBA. Let me know if that rule has changed. But here we see James Harden. We had our first look at James Harden. The entire NBA community, I say, when I say we, I mean the entire NBA community, uh, fans of all teams. I mean, this was national news. All, basically, all of these stories were national news this week. This this news cycle is was dominated by basketball anyway, but dominated by the Brooklyn Nets. James Harden made his debut in those awful jerseys. Don't get me started on those jerseys. They're just awful. I don't like them. And and New Jersey Nets is what I grew up going to. And they were not wearing those jerseys. They were wearing the you know the navy blue ones. That's what I associate with them. I know people love the tie dye jerseys. I get it. 
but they seem like they're wearing them more than their black and white ones now. I just, I don't care for them. Never did. I told Brian Scalabrini I didn't. He said he liked them. Okay, whatever. Difference of opinion. I, I just, I don't care for them. But anyway, James Harden made his debut in that ugly jersey, in my opinion. 2018 NBA MVP. Scoring champ in each of the last three seasons. Seven-time NBA, All-NBA. Eight-time All-Star. And a guy that is sixth on the list for career average points per game since the merger. You know what's missing from that guy's resume? An NBA title. And let's be honest. He played lights out. Absolutely lights out. He told you. He said, it's going to be a movie. Stay tuned. Yeah, and I joked before, so are his taxes. He's expected to pay more than $13 million as a result of the move from Texas to New York. But from what I saw, and I was flipping between uh, the Nets and the football game, obviously, but from what I saw, James Harden was absolutely stellar in his opening night as a Net. Stellar. He looked noticeably thinner. He looked excited. He looked intense. And, And guess what? He did not look like the ball hog that everybody's been making him out to be. I don't know. Uh, Change of scenery. Good situation. Whatever the reason being. I mean, he had two steals within the first half of the first quarter. He had Joe Harris on an alley-oop, which he ended up passing. I don't know why. But then he made a behind-the-back, no-look pass to Jeff Green, who drained a literal wide-open three-pointer. He's got... Amazing court vision. I mean, when he told you in that press conference that he was going to be an an excellent, or I forget the word he used, but an excellent teammate, Durant was down in the first half. He was shooting like 40, he was like four for 10 from the field. Harden was on the sidelines as he's ready to check in, cheering him on, clapping for him, encouraging him. And Harden finished with a triple-double. You want to dissect that? Should we start with the 14 assists? Or do you want to talk about the 12 rebounds? Did you see him boxing out? I don't know if I've seen a Nets player box out this entire season. James Harden was doing it on the offensive class. Then you tack on the 32 points he dropped in. And by the way, he and Kevin Durant tied with game highs minutes. They played 40 minutes each game high. And the Nets won. So I think as long as this this big three is on their best behavior meaning playing, sharing the ball, eating their egos. I mean, this team is lethal. And, and of course, you know, you have to be in the building. Uh, um, that's a little jab at Kyrie Irving. Yeah, you got to be there. And you hear all the time from players that, you know, have won championships and whatever sport, right? They talk about how the entire team, every player bought in, every player left their ego at the door. And for the Nets' sake, hopefully Harden and, and Durant and Irving – Hopefully, they could do the same. And the song I introduced this little section with, by the way, earlier was uh, James Harden section was uh, Mano. Hi, hater. Hi, hater. You know that? And, of course, the Jets. We left off last week saying bye-bye-bye to Adam Guru, Adam Disgrace Gase. And we use Michael Buble to set the scene for a new dawn, a new day. And Robert Sala is absolutely it. I mean, the guy interviewed with six teams. There were seven openings at the time he interviewed with six of the teams. Talk about a hot shot commodity head coach. He was the guy. He was the guy that was in demand. 
Yes, I sat here and I told you Eric Bieniemy is my number one. Doesn't look like Eric right now. It doesn't look like Eric Bieniemy is leaving the Chiefs. And based on the number of dominoes that have fallen over this past week in terms of head coaching vacancies being filled, it doesn't look like he's going to be leaving. Can you blame him? He's got a chance at multiple rings, plural, there with the Kansas City Chiefs. When the wheels start to fall off, then he's got a nice resume to to really pick any job he wants if he couldn't do it already. I did think that Brian Dable would be a good fit, um, but I think Robert Sala is a really excellent consolation prize. So when you take out Biennemi, Dable was my number one. Salah was my number two. And uh, for him, I picked the Martin Slovig's Hello song. Uh, I think it just matches his energy level. We don't know much about him. I mean, we do, but I'm just saying like we haven't heard from him yet as the Jets head coach. So Hello is good for now. Maybe we'll give him the Taylor Swift treatment next week. But what we're going on is in his resume and what his former players and former staff and, you know, front office is what what they're saying about him. So Kyle Shanahan, the head coach, he said, as a friend, I respect him greatly and I could not be happier for him. And John Lynch, the GM in the 49ers, he said, Robert is a great coach and an even better person. Everywhere I looked, I did not see one negative thing by any, you know, player or, you know, who I just outlined about him. There's there's nothing negative out there about him. So the Jets flew him in, let him go. I was like, Mom, why did they let him go? Like, why did he let them, why did the Jets let him leave the building? And she said, well, maybe he wanted to leave the building. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, don't say that. But then uh, the Jets came back around, and, and I really couldn't sleep Thursday night. I really couldn't. Between that and, and I had I had a bet on it, by the way. I had a long shot bet on, on him to be named the Jets head coach. I put, like, um, it was a $5 bet. I ended up winning like uh, 65 or 70, 70 bucks, I think. A pretty good bet. Pat's shaking his head, nodding in approval. Yeah, pretty good. So I knew he had like a chance. And uh, it paid off for me, literally. And perhaps Joe Staley, the 49ers offensive tackle, former, that is, summed it up best. He said, I am so damn excited for Salah. He is a leader, unbelievable man, and coach. Can't wait to watch him turn around the Jets organization. That should be music to Jets fans' ears across this nation as I sit here in a Jets t-shirt. I can't wait to watch him turn around the Jets organization. My God. I think a 12-year, now-retired NFL veteran would know. Would know better than me. Would know better than you, Pat. Would know better to you than you listening to the radio right now. Because, yeah, there are questions. Can Robert Sala be that, I'm using air quotes right now with my fingers, CEO-type head coach. Could he be? Could he manage the offense, the defense, all three phases, and the special teams? Could he? I don't know. The Jets seem to think he can. Joe Douglas seems to think he can. There is this blind trust in Joe Douglas to get it right among all Jets fans, even though he's never hired a head coach in his whole career. And I think that... Robert Sala must have just absolutely wowed them in, in whatever Zoom interview that they did that they just had to get him in here. Flew him right into Teterboro and inked him. So, you know, good for them. I think the Jets got a good one. His intensity is awesome. I love it. That's how I coach. Very intense like that. Um, and the players, I think, respect that. And they play for you. 
and they show up for you in that way and they respect you, which is great. So, um, and, and it's clear. And one of the guys that really, um, what's that expression? Oh, you guys are going to laugh at me. Stumped, stumped for him, I think. Stumped, like really. Pat, is that right? One of the players that stumped for him was uh, like. I believe you might be looking for simped. No. No, I can't. No. <laughs> I thought that's what you meant. No, like you got up on the stump for him. Like you, someone's going to correct me. Uh, someone on the calls will correct me. But yeah, I was, I was going somewhere else with that. Yeah, no, that's no, <laughs> no, not simped. No, but maybe it fits. One, one person that simped for him was uh, Richard Sherman, and that would be an interesting name to watch if you're a Jet fan. Richard Sherman, um, is a veteran in this league. He's a Super Bowl champion in this league, and. uh they just showed the no-look pass on TV, by the way. Sorry, I was distracted. He's a veteran in this league. He would be, I think, an excellent fit for the New York Jets defense. The Jets have a lot of cap room to spend. Not to say that they're going to spend all of it on on Richard Sherman. He's in the back nine of his career. But he's willing to move to safety. They've said it. And he knows the defense. So I think that would be a name to watch if you're a Jet fan moving forward. I think um, it's pretty much, well, I don't want to say set in stone, but Sam Darnold look like looks like he's coming back under center, and I, and that's I, to me that's the right move. I agree with that move. And we also talked about earlier. We talked about uh, someone called and asked about. Okay, now what's the Jets' strategy now? Well, they've got a lot of options. That's that's first and foremost. Um, but I have a name for you. I'm going to leave you a little dangly here. I have a name for you um, that I haven't heard yet for the Jets to pick. I think it makes a ton of sense. And I will let you know what that name is and who that player is on the other side of this quick, short break. I'm Daniel McCartan on The Fan. The Jets have a new head coach, Robert Sala. And the only place to talk about him throughout the weekend is your flagship station for New York and NFL football. The Fan, Sports Radio 1019, WFAN-FM, and always streaming on WFAN.com. I like us better when we're oh, I love this song. This is such a... Go down to the, the shore at Tiki Bar, Martell's Tiki Bar. Ah. Oh. One day, maybe. So, guys, by the way, uh, I got a tweet by uh, from John Launch, by the way. He said, use your powers for good on these NFL picks and play the Powerball. I did. I just checked my numbers. I didn't win. Guess what? Nobody won. Estimated jackpot is now $730 million. Next drawing is Wednesday, January 20th. So go and get your tickets. If you heard it from me, I get a 10% cut. Okay? All right. And then I don't want to leave it really hanging here, but... You know, you've heard Penny Sewell as the name that everybody's talking about. Everybody, the Jets should get Penny Sewell. Listen, I think the Jets should build from the inside out. That is the strategy that I've always uh, simped for. We talked about the, um, the the Titans model with Taylor Lewan and, and, and Jack Conklin, okay? Um, the Colts figured it out, but too late. They damaged their Ferrari, damaged goods, Andrew Luck. Hopefully the Jets can figure it out, too, and I think that they will. So Penny Sewell, yeah, I have got a concern about him. He opted out of 2020, and uh, so that begs the question at 6'6 and 331, uh, what kind of shape is he in? And what is that adjustment going to be like, not just to game speed, but now a step up to NFL speed? So I've got some questions on him, but I do want to put a guy named Deontay Brown on your radar, too, uh, from Alabama. 6'4", 350, um, which is pretty – I mean, Mekhi Becton, 6'7", 364. So they're, they're, they're comparable in size. 
This Deontay Brown, he came back for his fifth season. Maybe that's indicative of being more mature. He's a little bit older, right? Plays both left and right guard, which I love versatility on the line. That's one of my favorite qualities. This guy has not allowed a single sack in three seasons at Alabama. 865 snaps. 865 snaps. The guy has not allowed a sack. Uh, Sign me up. If I'm Sam Darnold, I'm taking this. Sam Darnold, if you are listening, you could take my radio.com rewind and you can bring it to your GM and tell him this is the guy you want. So no one has said that. Not that I have heard. So Deontay Brown, he's the guy. Uh, and you're not taking him at two, everybody. You trade down. I got to look at it. You know, it's everything. A lot of things can change between now and then. But you're not taking him at two. Uh, maybe. I don't know. I got to look at it. I wouldn't go any deeper probably than like 10, though, trade down. But you could trade that number two pick, get some nice haul for it, especially to a quarterback thirsty team. All right, let's go back to the calls. 877-337-6666. Ruse in Melville. You're on the fan. Hey, what's going on, Danielle? How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. All right. So I was going to talk about the Mets, but I just want to chime in real quick about the uh, the Nets and the uh, and the Harden uh, signing. Yeah. I I, I personally think that uh, that Kyrie does not like it. Um, I, I'm with you. I don't I, think he likes it. There's yeah, no way he likes it. Yeah. No. I I, I think he. Uh, I, I I think he's pissed. I I think I think it's. Uh, it's going to overshadow him. I think he really wanted it to be him and Durant mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, kind of him being the, the showcase guy. Mm-hmm. And now with Harden, you know, being, you know, taking a lot of the, you know, lo- you know, basically the light, you know. Uh, yeah, still in the limelight you know, from him. He, he's, he's, guess yeah. what? He's the third wheel now, and I don't think he likes that. Yep. Especially yeah. Especially the chemistry and, uh, between Kevin Durant and Harden coming from uh, wherever they came from, coming from the other team. Yeah, yeah, OKC. OKC, okay, yeah, thank I, you. I couldn't yep, think of it. Yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's um, yeah. I I think it's uh, I think it's a disaster waiting to happen. And and then the other thing with with but regards Ruse, to the wait. Nets is Ruse, wait, yeah, isn't yeah. it already happening? Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. right? Are, aren't yeah. we there? We're yeah. already there. Yeah. <laughs> and then the, the the other thing I was going to say too was uh. They're uh, they're really uh, they're really small. Yeah. If you look at their if you look at their roster, you know, with 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 getting rid of you know Allen and uh, and uh, Kurutz, you know, uh, they, they have no bigs. Yeah. You know, they're 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 so small. You know, even with Durant six ten, but he's not a banger. Mm-hmm. He, he's a he, he's a you know he's a wing guy. Yeah, the you way know, Jared so Allen really cleaned up that glass. Oh my God, he led the team in rebounds, and they let him go. Yeah, oh. it was. Uh, I mean, they they're gonna have to figure something out to uh, to to sign you know one or two guys. You know, uh, either like a Deadman uh, who's uh, who's uh, who's available, um, or um, Kyle Quinn, who's another guy who's available. No, Kyle they, Quinn, they, they, former they, Nick, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but they may need somebody else to you know in 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 the paint because um, they they're not going to be able to, to survive regardless of listen they're going to put up 120 points a game mm-hmm. that's great but if the other but, team scores 121 know, they lose it, simple as that yep um, so 
And then on, on to the Mets. Well, I was, so I was looking at the uh, the roster, mm-hmm. and the one thing that's annoying me is with, with Manfred not you know not giving the okay of the yes or no yet on the on the DH, which is you're really frustrating. You're really not right to uh, to Major League Baseball on the teams. Well, he's told you know, because, he's told them to plan for um, you know back to normal, like no DH in in the NL, but he hasn't actually like issued an edict saying it, you know, it's like the door is like still half open and no one seems to really know what to do. It's confusing. It, that, and and it's, it, it's frustrating. So I, I, I'll go on the premise of, let's say for instance, there is a DH mm-hmm. and uh, you know, as, as, as far as the Mets, you know, it was oh, funny because, you know, uh, I had, I had, I had thrown a tweet out. And, uh, you know, I, ju- I left the car and I jumped back in the car and all of a sudden Carton, you know, r- read my tweet as the tweet of the day. Oh, and, yeah, what uh, was it? It was actually, it, it was basically just something stupid. It was just like, you know, so, uh, you know, um, yeah, what was it? It was, it was something basically just saying something about, you know, uh, all this stuff going on and, you know, my owners, you know, tweeting about Carvel. Yeah, you know, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. you know, it was, it was something like stupid like that, but he he found it hilarious, and that, but then and then next thing you know, four days or four days or five days later, you know, all of a sudden we pop uh, Lindor and uh, and Carrasco. I was like, uh, wow, yeah, you know, yep, that was Big unbelievable. Move. The um, but what I was thinking with the with the lineup, and you know, some people think I'm crazy, but you know. Um, Let's say, for instance, there is the DH. You know, you, you look at the uh, the OPS on some of these guys. You know, you know, leading leading off. You know, I. You know, let's say, for instance, there is a DH. If you had Dom Smith, you know, at one, and you had uh, Lindor at two, uh, Conforto at three, Alonzo at four, uh, McNeil at five, and uh, JD Davis at six. You know, that is. Uh, that's some, you know, one through six lineup because the top three right there, you know, have OPSs above 940. I like Brendan Nimmo you know, up there too, though. He sees a lot of pitches. He draws a lot of walks. I, you got to slot him in there somewhere. Well, well, what I was thinking was with him, with him putting him at the, at the, at the you know, bottom kind of similar to Second the way the, the American yeah. Yeah, kind of what the, yeah, what the American league does yeah. where the, yeah, where they have him as like a kind of like the, the eighth guy where, yeah, like kind of like the second leadoff guy, you know, you're down at the bottom, you know, I mean, listen, who who knows what's going to happen, you know, um, and to the, to the caller that had called earlier, I, I had missed a little bit about him and, uh, we had spoken when I was telling you, you know, definitely no way to, uh, Bauer. And I think with the Carrasco signing, I think that, uh, solidified that, you know, we're not going to go to, you know, for Bauer. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I don't think we're going to go for Springer at all because when you really look at things, you know, we're going to have to sign Lindor. We're also going to have to sign Conforto, you know, mm-hmm. next year. And Syndergaard. You know, yeah. And, and, Syndergaard, you know, and Syndergaard. So, I, I, yeah, I mean, listen, he's a billionaire, but he's not, he's not a moron. <laughs> and he, he's, you know, he's not going to, he, he's not going to, you know, have a $700, $700 million payroll. You know, he, he's, right. he's going to be smart. So I really do think the smart move here would be, yes, to, to sign a guy like Jackie Br- Bradley for $11 million. Mm-hmm. I like the way that you brought up the uh, the splits and you really said it's really no big difference between Bradley and uh, 
and Springer. Well, in, in the quick know, little that, analysis that I did, yes. The yeah. fielding percentage is exactly the same in center field. Their batting averages are comparable. And Jackie Bradley Jr.'s market value, calculated market value, is uh, more than half. So $11 million to like $25 million. I think it's a no-brainer. Ruse, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Yeah, I think I think it's a no-brainer. I mean, they're 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 they are exactly to the hundredth of a percent just as effective in in center field in field in terms of fielding percentage. I mean, I did this on the on the fly, you know, on the phone here with with that caller, and I think you do it. I think you do it like yesterday. You know, Jackie Bradley. I'm saying, I think I would be surprised if it's George Springer for the Mets. I really would. Andy in Miami, you're on the fan. Good morning, Coach. How are you? I'm good, Andy. What's up? All right. Well, uh, Roos and his 45-minute James Joyce uh, stream of consciousness took yeah. my point on the Mets, so I'll, I'll move on quickly. Okay. What was the point? I'll just, what I'll, was it? Well, I, the point was I, I think JBJ is who you have to sign because yes. you're going to have to re-sign Conforto. But the point I'd like to make, having just listened to your show, yeah. I really enjoyed uh, listening to your interview with Misha Tate, oh, and you. I think her attitude was super positive. And what I liked about her attitude is, you know, to succeed in life, you need to have a positive attitude about things. Mm-hmm. And it was so ironic because your next caller was an <laughs> Islander fan who said the season was over because <laughs> Varlamov gave up five goals. What was great about that oh, is you God. tried to tell him you tried to tell him that Varlamov didn't play, and in reality. He took a puck to the throat right before the game, and a backup goalie came in. He didn't care. Oh, He's like, Varlamov stopped the season's over. And I'm like, I don't think this guy was listening to Misha Tate. Oh, you know, Andy, that's a great point. I'm sorry. It, it, it's hilarious because, you know, this woman was so positive. She had to overcome injuries. She had to overcome a bad relationship. She, she said she suffered from depression quite freely on the air. I thought it was really refreshing. But what I loved about what she said is just, you know, she's a glass half full person. And yeah. I think if you look at people who succeed in life, mm-hmm. um, ironically, not like Colin McGregor, but who I don't think is somebody who should be respected for the way he treats women mm-hmm. and the way he treats other people. Agreed. What, what I think with Misha Tate is, you know, this is an example of how people succeed in life. And let's just say it's not like uh, Larry the Islanders fan who said the season is over, even though they have the best. Uh, head coach, and they have the best general manager in the yeah, NHL. Yeah, and right. by the way, they got to like the semifinals last year yeah. in a pandemic. <laughs> yeah. Moving on. Yeah. Um, I have talked to you every week about DJ LeMayu. Oh, finally. And what, finally. what in God's name the Yankees were waiting for. And Cashman giveth and Cashman taketh mm-hmm. away. Cashman did a great job. I felt, actually, I felt bad for DJ LeMayu getting a $3 million raise for winning the batting title. I know. I think does not bode well for George Springer or Trevor Bauer. Um, and uh, what I think is going to happen is JBJ, like I told you, is the alternative. But then because he's Cashman, he still manages to screw up the pitching. I'm so happy that we got DJ LeMayu. And I understand $11 million, I agree with you, Coach, is, is not a great amount of money. But we're talking about $11 million for somebody who's made eight starts in two years. Yeah, we talked about that. And one inning, one inning last year. Right. So, I mean, I understand that Matt Blake came from the Indians, and I understand this is like Matt Blake saying, no, 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 give me Corey Kluber and I'll take care of this. But, Coach, you have Tanaka, who has pitched with a partially torn rotator cuff for three years and has an incredible work ethic, and other than last year, has done nothing but succeed for you Mm -hmm. in the postseason. Now, I'll defer to you. I don't know what kind of shape James Paxton is in, but James Paxton was somebody – who the Yankees signed knowing that when he was in Seattle, he got injured. 
But even with that, if you take his game in the playoffs against the Red Sox and, and you're choosing somebody who has eight starts in two years, I, I don't get that. I mean, and Cashman, the one, the one kryptonite for him has always been pitching. And if his big offseason signing for the pitching staff is Kluber, not satisfied. Yeah, not satisfied. We're just that. Yeah, Andy. Uh, yeah, I, I get your point there, Andy. Point well taken. Um, I think when you looked at and and here's here's what I when I looked at, you know, my little statistical analysis that I do. I'm no I'm not a front office manager, but I, and I'm not a GM, but I, I do like numbers, and I did look at. Um, I, I just think that when you look at the Yankees pitching staff, provided that Aaron Boone is going to let them um, pitch, um, how do I say this? Not yank them. How about that? How about Aaron Boone actually lets them throw and, and, and he doesn't yank them? You look at Corey Kluber and he averages, even with those two really bad, you know, non-existent pretty much seasons, 221 innings pitched over a course of a season average. I mean, so in his career, you get 221 innings out of him. And, and Paxton, 188. Odorizzi, 183. Those are the three guys I looked at, by the way. Um, his ERA is, is the least of the bunch. His home runs per nine inning is the least of the bunch. His uh, this is Kluber, by the way. I'm talking about Kluber. Kluber's walks uh, over nine innings, it, average walks over nine innings, is the least out of them all. And then you go and see him in in a showcase, and then you have Mac Blake. I mean, I, okay, I thought eleven million dollars was a little much. Actually, I actually had it valued around eight million. Uh, but that's what happens. You have the showcase. You draw, you know, twenty eight teams there to go see you and of course it drives the price up because I don't know I mean I wasn't there I don't know what happened but uh, I, I think I think it's low relatively low risk and it has the potential to be very high reward that's what I think I, I'm okay with the Kluber signing I am but if that's the last move that the Yankees are going to make to adjust the pitching staff um, I'm not okay with that so more calls after the break 877-337-6666 I'm Daniel McCartan on the fan Join us tomorrow morning on Boomer and Geo. Divisional playoff weekend in the NFL. We're going to break it all down. It was a wild Friday here on WFAN. It will be a wild Monday as we break down all those games and look forward to what's coming next. Boomer and Geo, 6 to 10 a.m. with the warm-up show yeah. with Al and Jerry starting at 5. Right here on the thing. That's why I'm easy. I'm easy like Sunday Welcome back, everybody. This song is the Q. For you guys, this is your last chance to get aboard. Pat and I are here till 6 a.m. taking your calls. It is a divisional NFL, divisional playoff Sunday. Once again, my picks are the Chiefs over the Browns. And I think this game has the potential to go into overtime. Even though the spread is like 10 points, I think that's ridiculous. Uh, and these are money line bets, by the way. I- I'm going Chiefs over Browns, and I'm going Buccaneers over Saints. There's just something about Tom Brady that... um you just can't bet against them. That's it. That wasn't my picks. Chiefs, Buccaneers. Hopefully, by the end of this weekend, I will end up at 9-1. Do you believe that? I'm 7-1 right now. So, uh, I've got some money on it. We'll see what happens. Pat in Long Island, you're on the fan, Pat. Hey, how's it going? I'm good. How are you? Can't complain. Um, two side notes. One for Johnny Raincloud. I want to say Sorokin was told five minutes before the game to play your rivals who just got spanked two days earlier. That's coming from the Rangers fan, by the way. Yeah, we got it. We got it. All right, what's the update? Not not, not fair at all. Um, next thing I want to say, super excited about how much uh, Richard Sherman, he was praising, oh, and man. I'm looking forward to our coach. Yep. And 
Hopefully and he doesn't have a Richard lot of Sherman nice things veteran. to say about a lot of people, Richard Sherman. So uh, it was nice coming from him. <laughs> yes. So I'm looking forward to my Jets. But the main thing I want to say is um, I think Andy Reid and the Kansas City Chiefs, I know you have the Chiefs and uh, you it, think it's going to be close. I, I think they have something to say to the Browns saying, no, 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 no. That was maybe a division rivals. You may have gotten four picks. Them beating that 28-point record in the first quarter, all that stuff, I think they're going to get totally destroyed. It's going to be an under the 59 points or whatever, and I think Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes are going to shut up the Browns. I really don't think it's going to even be a close game. All right. Well, Pat, uh, my producer, Pat, is a very big Browns fan, and he gave me a fart noise in my ears, and he's putting his headphones on. Uh Uh-oh. From one Uh pad to another, not going to happen. Oh, well, we shall see. Pat from Long Island, I hope you give me a call next week, and we can can duke it out. Maybe we'll have a battle, uh, what do I call it? Beatboxing with you two, the two Pats. Pat boxing. (laughs) Pat boxing. All right, Jesse and Jose, you're on the – oh, San Jose, I'm sorry. Jesse from San Jose, you're on the fan. Coach, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Fine, thank you. Well, I'm getting sleepy, but I'm fine, thanks. Um, Just wanted to say first about Bob Sala. He's uh, a great coach. Uh, Everybody out here in 49er land loved him. The players played hard for him. So I'm sure he'll be a great coach. My question is, can one coach and one person turn around the the Jets, which have been searching for the turnaround for for decades? Well, he's not the only one because they've got Joe Douglas, which Jets fans have a lot of faith in. So you pair Joe Douglas with a, a coach that he likes, he can work with. Um, I think that's two pieces of the puzzle in the whole cog of the things. And and look at, I mean, look at Joe Judge. I mean, he he came in here to the Giants and and he turned the culture around right from the beginning. And and they only attracted the best free agents. So, um, yeah, I think true. The Giants have a history of of performance, though. But true. Yes. So I, I'm 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 optimistic. Let's just put it that I'm optimistic that that these two now Douglas Sala can get it done, and Lafleur. Oh. Okay. All right. Um. Uh, the other point I had. What was it? Oh, it's uh, it's on the stump. I oh, know you were you were debating stump. it. It's it's, <laughs> okay. it's a political political reference. Yes. For, yes. For stumping for a candidate. Yes. yes. Stumping yep. for a candidate. So yes, you're yes. on the stump. Okay. Uh, and. Do you see any 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 possibility for surprises with these two remaining games? I was kind of surprised that the Ravens um, could not do more offensively in the. Uh, I was surprised that they didn't game. even score a touchdown. That I was surprised yeah. of. Uh, the highlights yeah, are on the TV they, right now. Um, yeah, and I think Jesse, thanks for the call. I think the the only surprise I I, I mean, the only surprise I can maybe say is that uh, that Browns game. I just think that that game has the potential to go into overtime, maybe even. Maybe, should I guarantee it? No, I don't want to guarantee it. But I think it's going to be a game that uh, it's going to be closer than a lot of people think, especially the, the people that make the the the, um, the point spreads. Because a ten point point spread, I think, is just. I mean, I'm I'm no Browns fan like Pat, but he said it before. It's disrespectful, and I agree with him. Eddie in Rockland County, you're on the fan. Hey, Danny, how you doing? What's up, Eddie? All right, I'm the solid. Uh, no. Pick, you know, that's fine, but I go back to when an organization lets Frank Wright go interview him and they don't know what they got. They don't talk to Jim Harbaugh and you don't talk to Gary Kubiak. Okay. I'm not saying this guy's not a good coach, 
But when you don't have any horses in the race, you can't build, you can't coach a team. Well, okay? I know, but Harbo is returning. He, he said that. Listen, if you want a guy, there's ways to get them. You know, no one ever thought uh, Irvin Meyer was going to come out of college. I did. I did. I said it here. I said I would not be surprised. Urban Meyer to the Jacksonville Jaguars. I knew it was going to happen. I said it here. I did. So I'm talking about three, four years ago. There was never, ever talk of him ever leaving college. Mm. Okay. But uh, my point is this Jet team, if you don't have players, there's nothing to coach. Well, if you don't have players, there's there's no reason to have a quarterback. That's like the Jets picking a running back at number two. For what? Because they got no offensive line. This team is a three-year re- rebuild. I wouldn't even care if they got rid of Sam and got a pick. They need three players on the offensive line. They need a tight end. They need a quarterback. They need the two guys on the defensive line. They need two linebackers. <laughs> they need everything before a quarterback. Well, they I, don't need I, a quarterback. Right. And, and Eddie, three- I, I think, though, Eddie, that's why you're keeping Sam Darnold. I mean, I think the Jets should be keeping Sam Darnold anyway. I, I, don't, I do not recommend the Jets drafting a quarterback. I do not recommend them going after Deshaun Watson, who's going to cost them next season. I think it's next season. Um, or is it this season? I'd have to look it up. But either this season or next season, his contract is worth $36 million annually. Okay? So, no, I, I agree with you. The Jets have so many holes to fill. Um, think of it as a boat. They have so many holes in their boat that they need to plug up as many as possible. And a guy I work with, he told me, yeah, but, well, the quarterback is the biggest hole. Well, okay, I get it, but I'm still not going that way. And I think Sam Darnold is fully capable, and I cannot wait to see him in a new offense with with an actual coach. Sparky in Dobbs Ferry, you're on the fan. Oh, uh, yes, Coach. How's everything? <laughs> Good, Sparky. How are you? Okay. Um, I tell you one thing. I don't mind admitting I was wrong about LeMay, because <laughs> you know what? I would have bet the whole $5 he was going to leave. The whole 5 The 10 10 is my max. Yeah. Yeah, I would have gone 10 also. Yeah, it's just now, the longer that brought, they, it dragged on, it was like, oh, my oh, God. Oh, I was like, oh, my God. I was, I was scared. I thought he was gone. <laughs> now, when you brought up before about Castillo and trading, and trading Torres, you know what? Hey, I wouldn't want to trade Torres, but you know what? It's very simple. You can't pay for a White Castle hamburger and get back prime rib steak in return. Yeah, well, that's the thing. And Castillo's got controllable years ahead of him. Not I, Okay, I wasn't making a trade proposal, but I said you have to think about trading guys like Glaber Torres, guys like a Gio Urshela, because that's who they're going to ex- who the Reds are going to expect back. If you don't want to give it up, you don't make the deal. But the Yankees but really I mean, need some pitching. But, you know, Coach, you're right. It is an interesting thing, Castillo. Because just looking at this year, a 60-game season, you had only Cole who could give you any kind of length. Correct. By the time the playoffs came in a 60-game season, their bullpen was entirely burnt out. Yep. And that, and I do put a little bit on the manager, too, because he's taking his starters out, and they didn't feel like it was time for them to come out, too. So the Yankees need to really figure that out, too. They, they're yanking pitchers entirely too early and, in turn, burning out there. Um, not so tough bullpen, shall we say. You know, Coach, you were right about the thing taking people out. Because when Jim Cott was announcing, he would always say, a pitcher would be taken out of the game. If you're getting out, you're still in the game. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yeah. And that's it, you know? But, but as far as the bullpen part, when you mentioned the not-so-great part, I agree, because one thing I'm curious about, what's wrong with 
Aroldis Chapman. Can't pitch in a big moment. That's a good part. That, because I'll tell you, though, I still think it, it's like you got to be kidding. Or maybe also just when he first came about as a closer, there weren't many people that threw like him, and now there's a lot more who do. Yeah. And now the Jet coach, I got a feeling they might have hit on something really good. Because there was an interview that was played on the fan a while ago that he had done somewhere else. And he brought up the importance of hiring really good assistants, mm-hmm. like, you know, explaining that he doesn't know everything. Right. You know, I, just, I think this guy, we might have hit very lucky on him. I just got good feelings. I'm with you. I'm with you. I think so. We Coach, shall see. Yeah, yeah. Have yeah. a good week, my friend. You too, okay. Spark. I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Anything is better than Adam Gase, right? Anybody, I am an improvement. Sparky, you are an improvement over Adam Gase. Come on now. Jeff in Fairview, you're on the fan. Hey, Daniel. Happy, easy Sunday morning. That's right. Divisional round Sunday. Let's go. Yeah, I'm pumped. Now, you said you're 7-1. Mm-hmm. I'm 62. Now, are you doing it with the spread or just straight up? Straight up. Money lines. Oh, okay. I'm 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 going with the spread. Oh yeah, so. I, I just like, hey, but still seven yeah. to one is tremendous. Yeah, picking winners, those damn Steelers, man. That's the second time they screwed me this year on a parlay. <laughs> yeah, oh. the Bears screwed me last week, uh, and uh, today uh, the Ravens screwed me. So tonight, they anyway. excuse me. Tonight the Ravens screwed you. I had the Bills tonight. No, I had the Ravens. Yeah, oh. I lost on that one. I like, but I agree on both games today with the spread. I like KC and the Bucks. Uh, no. I, if I was doing the spread, though, I think the the Browns keep it closer than ten points. Though I, I don't know. Well, I, you know, Old Beckham said they're going to upset them, and uh, Patrick Mahomes liked it. Heard about it? Yeah, he liked the tweet. I saw that. Yeah, the heart with the heart. <laughs> yeah, that's bulletin board material. Exactly. So, and plus, they're not going to get spotted twenty eight points. You know, they're going to have to earn this one. I mean. I mean, they got a lot of turnovers last week early, which you know, I'm glad they won. I'm, I'm a Jets fan, so I, I know all about losing. But I don't <laughs> yeah. think they're gonna. I don't think they're gonna beat KC. But on the Jets, I have to disagree with you. I don't want to trade down because we already have nine mm-hmm. picks in the draft, Correct. and I want to stay at number two for every round. You know what I mean? And then we need a lot. We need a yeah. couple offensive linemen. We need two cornerbacks. We need a wide receiver, so I would I would stick at two. But you know, you might be right too. But we already have nine picks, so I figure I don't think we have to trade down. I just think, and and Jeff, I'm going to let you go because we're going to hit the back time in a second. But I just think that if you're the Jets, that's a quality pick. Like that's not trading like a eleventh overall. That's a second overall, and that could mean not just for this draft, but for next draft, another first round pick for next draft. You know what I'm saying? I think that the Joe Douglas is smart enough to kind of finagle that. I would just trade down not far. I wouldn't go far, but I would not be picking an offensive lineman at two. I just, I wouldn't do it. But I also haven't looked at what's behind the jets either. Um, I know the dolphins are right behind them. They might be picking offensive line. They might be picking wide receiver. They're pretty much the same as the Jets are. So if we, if they take Sewell, Jets get um, Deontay Brown that I was talking about. So um, there's a lot. There's a lot of variables, and there's free agency as well. So we will wait and see. 
Um, but the Jets do have options, and I think it, they're in a in a more confusing spot than than they would be if they had the number one overall pick, because obviously that was that is going to be Trevor Lawrence. Do you think my question I'm going to leave you with, and we can talk about next week? My question for next week is going to be: Do the Jaguars go out and get Watson and pass on Lawrence? Hmm, I don't know. Well, thanks to all the callers. Could not have done this without you guys. I love coming here, talking to you guys all the time. Special thank you again to very special guest, Misha Tate. Checked in with us about the McGregor fight and her potential return to the octagon at 420. Actually, just rewind the, rewind the whole thing. 2 a.m., listen to the whole thing while you're at it. Great job to Pat, as always. Mike McCann on the updates. Bob Salter is up next. So in the meantime, you guys can hit my socials at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N over there on Twitter and Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan. And we'll keep the conversation going. I will see you guys same time, same bat time, same bat channel next weekend. Enjoy the games. Let's go Bucks and let's go Chiefs.